there's been over a 20 to 1 return. If you had put that money into an S&P 500 and reinvested the dividends, you'd come up with something like $17 billion, but you think it's $200 billion. Here, yeah. You're okay. You're not going to get COVID if you have these vaccinations. These vaccines are highly, highly effective. Vaccinated people do not carry the virus, don't get sick. They're really, really good against variants. Everyone who takes the vaccine is not just protecting themselves, but reducing their transmission uh, to other people and allowing society to get back to normal. Get your first shot, and when you're due for your second, get your second shot. Our key goal is to stop the transmission, to get the immunity levels up so that you get almost no, almost no Uh, infection going on whatsoever. When people are vaccinated, they can feel safe that they are not going to get infected. If you're vaccinated, you're not going to be hospitalized, you're not going to be in an ICU unit, and you're not going to die. If you are fully vaccinated, you no longer need to wear a mask. Anyone who is fully vaccinated can participate in indoor and outdoor activities, large or small, without wearing a mask or physical distancing. But what they can't do anymore is prevent transmission. You know, we didn't have vaccines that block transmission. We got vaccines that help you with your health, but they only slightly reduce the transmissions. We need a new new way of doing the vaccine. The level of virus in the nasopharynx of a person who's vaccinated and infected is the same level as the level of virus in the nasopharynx of an unvaccinated person. Reports from our international colleagues, including Israel, suggest increased risk of severe disease amongst those vaccinated early. And if you look at Israel, Mm -hmm. which has always been a month to a month and a half ahead of us, they are seeing a waning of immunity, not only against infection, but against hospitalizations and to some extent, death. The booster might actually be an essential part of the primary regimen that people should have. The plan is for every every adult to get a booster shot. It's uh, clearly one of the best investments uh, I've ever been involved in. Welcome to the Daily Wrap-Up, a concise show dedicated to bringing you the most relevant independent news as we see it from the last 24 hours. Wednesday, September 6, 2023. Thank you for joining me today. I've got a huge show planned for you today. I have a lot to get to. Some stuff that I've had pulled off, and that doesn't even include the gigantic foreign policy segment and transgender segment that I'm probably going to get to hopefully tomorrow, maybe just do that as quick as possible, but a lot to get into around the COVID-19 discussion. We're going to start with a conversation about Twitter and ADL, which you might have seen, and uh, and then after that, a Maui focus that I want to follow up on that I've been trying to get to, and of course, an elephant in the room, something that I'm sure i kind of been battling on whether I even want to address today, but something that I thought was important to go over, not for the reasons people might think, but in order to show people how these kind of partisanship games can can very, very important stories. And so I'm going to do my best to go through the beginning parts of this as quickly as possible. I'm actually going to try to set myself for 30 minutes, but I think we all know I'm going to fail with that, but I'll do my best because I think the second part of this show is really important. A PCR focus again, but from a different angle that you 
probably will be, it, it'll be interesting at the very least, even for those that are very aware of the PCR illusion, the whole PCR, PIC, pneumonia, influenza, COVID overlap, all these illusions are coming back or always have been there, but are being used. We're going to talk about an interesting discussion about uh, from South Africa, Pfizer contracts that have been divulged, which aren't actually breaking news necessarily, but just confirming some of the most incredible parts about these contracts. It's really incredible. So we can go and look at them in entirety. And we're, and we're going to talk about some other important stuff around the, the bigger illusion as we finish. And really some just peer reviewed science that'll knock your socks off like stuff. That's just scathing. These things are dangerous, like incredible amounts of thrombosis and myocarditis. It's just, it's really incredible in, in, in the wrong word. It's, it's, it's terrifying. I mean, really, it's incredible to see what these things are doing, and yet somehow this is all still coming back. It's incredible. But to not waste any more time, I want to start off with a shout to Derek's uh, oops, recent uh, part four of a, a great series he's been doing. I really, I mean, really, if you're out there trying to get this conversation in front of somebody, and I don't mean the left or the right version, you know, where either everything's okay or nothing's okay, but really the, the, the objective kind of overview of what's going on in this, which means that there are some people that are just struggling, some people that may actually, you know, choose to do certain things. The other side of it is that people are pushing this for very clear agendas that have nothing to do with helping people. And of course, the people in the middle always get lost in the political fervor of both sides, right? Derek went at this in a very objective way. And I mean, you know my opinion on this. And I think this is a very important conversation. And he and I are very much in the same mindset about what's really going on here. But he does not. It's, it's done in a way that will reach people no matter what side they're on, if they're simply open to evidence and, and what's really going on around it. Like the, the, you know, talking about the Pritzker family and the politicization of where this comes from and the lies we're told about what is really driving it. I really hope you'll take the time to check this out. This is part four. It's called the overall called identity crisis. This is called the network behind gender identity ideology. Uh, a shout out to um, uh, Josh Walkos has been doing really great work on this and in, in specifically the Pritzker family and other bigger topics around it all. But it's really important. So take some time to read this, get it in front of people that need to see it because it is it's powerful and it's. Hopefully, I mean, you might not have known this since I've kind of been focusing on things, but I mean, hopefully you're watching these stories elsewhere, but the it's receding in an incredibly fast rate, this topic. Of course, not in the United States. Of course not. Just like everything else, we realize that chemicals are murdering or, you know, destroying things and destroying families, and we just keep using them while everyone else around, like, for instance, glyphosate, for example, or other things that are completely banned around the world, like certain GMO things, but we still use them in this country point is that this problem is seemingly speeding up in this country while leading areas around the world that have kind of started this conversation are now going back and saying that puberty blockers and hormone treatments are not even allowed outside of uh, clinical trials. And that's, that's, I mean, think about how fast that shifted because there's no evidence to support what's happening here. It's absolutely mind-blowing, but hopefully we can get this in front of people and hopefully we can save some more people that are being put through the, the, you know, What's the term? That's the old saying, the uh, not the grinder, but put through the, uh, you know, whatever people, people that are suffering because of this. So I hope you'll check it out. Derek's an excellent writer and a great researcher and a great journalist. <clears throat> so I wanted to start on a Twitter point in regard to the bigger topic we've been talking about, about what this is becoming, what it's doing in regard to journalism or, you know, the perception of it or how people view it or how people act through it. Also, the censorship and the biometrics and, and the, the, uh, the upcoming 
control structure, but also now the ADL influence on it, which we've been talking about as well from the very beginning, the whole awful but lawful freedom of reach, not freedom of speech, kind of re- or the reverse kind of thing, even though those are all the same thing. And it's, it's, a, it's a kind of a word salad of just justifying censorship, even though they're acting like that's not happening. And I'll show you what I mean in some comments that I made. But this is an interesting development. So first I saw this. Now, you've seen the conversations developing. You saw we just talked about Yaccarino meeting with them with the ADL and talking about how they're going to keep censoring hate speech. And I mean, that just directly challenges any illusion that this is about free speech. Even free speech, no freedom of reach, but freedom of reach. I hate that. Even if you want to pretend it's about freedom of speech, but not freedom of reach, you that that converse, even that statement would suggest that you're still allowed to say certain things. They just will kind of downgrade you, but that's not what's happening. They're outright censoring things they now deem hate speech. It's right back to the beginning. And even Yaccarino's promises that we're only going to delete accounts based on legal problem, or, you know, if they like break the law or do something that violates extreme level. Nope. There are people who lost their entire accounts for saying things about COVID. People have lost their entire accounts for saying things about foreign policy. Garland Nixon, as I understand it, is still locked out. I mean, think about how wild that is. So I saw this as, and so we know all of that. We know how this has been developing. Elon Musk came out and said, it's cl- to clear our platform's name. Of the matter of anti-Semitism, it looks like we have no choice but to file a defamation lawsuit against the Anti-Defamation League. Oh, the irony. Now, I, I wasn't sure if he was, like, joking. It kind of feels like something, you know, or he just says this and doesn't really mean it. Just a good point. Here's White Reed saying, ADL, just before Russia, or just, uh, just after Russia invades, essentially. But they, this was the, they've been saying this long before that. Ukraine National Guard, Azov. Uh, National Guard unit with explicit neo-Nazi ties and members see it as a pathway to the creation of a national socialist state in Ukraine. You know, the truth (laughs) that they're going to actually be the group that wants to spread the white race around the world and overtake everything as they try to blame Russia for that. And then immediately after that, oh, nope, nope, we don't see them as a problem anymore, you know, because it's it's politics. And this is another point we'll get into in a minute about why a Zionist minded person or somebody from that mind from the side of this that's never going to criticize the Israeli aspect of all this is probably never going to give you the full story about what's going on there. But. This is an interesting statement, because now, first of all, don't forget the other part of it, that their their ad revenue was being aggressively attacked because of what the ADL was doing, pressuring companies to no longer support them based on what they perceive as anti-Semitism, which I'm sure you could find some. You could probably find all sorts of negative and racist comments toward all sorts of people, black people, white people, Jewish people, all over the place on pretty much every platform, because it's not hard to find. But what's funny is how they choose to omit and allow some and then not others. Oh, yeah, you can hate Russians today, but not those kinds. They're all children. So what's funny is that it's been there. It's been so the bottom line is now because the ADL just didn't care about them kind of lip serving, saying we're going to do something about it, or maybe they did. I don't know. They now are pushing back and saying that the ADL didn't care that we tried to make it better. And so now we're going to go back the other direction. So I said, it's interesting. And to be clear, the ADL is a very dishonest organization, just so we're all clear about that, often framing genuine criticism that I know they know of political allies as racism and bigotry. Like, you can't just say because I say anything negative about Zionism or Israel that I'm somehow anti-Jew. That's dumb. I mean, you could assume that, and your statement could be, I believe that's what he probably means. That's not what they do. They say, he means this, and he's a racist, and then they censor you. That's crazy. That's way too much power for anybody, especially when you can realize that people have a right to say what they want. That's free speech. But the reality of it all is that people like me, just taking me for an example, I don't mean anything racist. I don't mean anything bigoted. I'm literally talking about the Israeli government. And that's the problem is they censor on their behalf. 
And I say, so it is appropriate that this is happening if he does it. But part of me thinks this won't actually happen. Then this person step. I'm, uh, I forget who this was. Anyway, so people are saying this around. around oh, 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 is there a sound issue? Someone's saying there's sound issue. Let me know in the chat if the sound is okay. But this is kind of a sentiment that's been circulating around, you know, the the the, the circles, right? That if you're on the, the the elitist circles, that you're supposed to say a certain thing when certain things happen. I stand up and I condemn the thing that we're all supposed to condemn today. You know, this is how it goes. But he says Elon Musk attack on the ADL is dangerous, dishonest, and deeply anti-Semitic. Is it? <laughs> well, first of all, is it dangerous that he's choosing to push back on a company that's trying to ruin Twitter? If that's how you view it. Isn't that what they think is happening? <laughs> so, it's just so strange how people are so childish about the way they view the world. Dishonest? How is it dishonest? He's openly telling you what he's going to do. You see, this is how it gets framed when, this is, when these kind of things happen. Because anybody that says something that goes against, goes afoul of these groups, gets flipped around, and you are now a dangerous, dishonest, racist bigot. Even if that's not the truth. Or deeply anti-Semitic. <laughs> what? I just, you see, this is my point. This is how flimsy this gets thrown around. And that's dangerous because you're using something that is a real thing and then you're acting like we're the ones covering it up. Well, what you're doing right there is, in fact, covering the real anti-Semitism that is out there. In fact, a lot of it coming directly from people in the Israeli government. But different point. Here's another one. ADL's attempt to kill X and Twitter. Elon, Elon Musk has confirmed that advertiser revenues have plummeted by 60%. Oh, I forgot I included this. I showed it the other day. So that's the point about the ad revenue. The cause behind this decline is the ADL's relentless pressure on advertisers to discontinue their support. So you can see him saying this. And I, this is, oh, that's why I included it again. So Dr. Anastasia says, suspend them. Now, oh, she obviously could just be kidding, or maybe she believes they should be censored. And what's funny is right when, that, when, when I read that... <laughs> My first inclination was like, yes, yes, screw them <laughs> because they're being dishonest. Right. But then immediately I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. And she, you know, for again, that's why I say she might be just be kidding about it is the same thing. But this is a problem. You're going to find a lot of people that genuinely think that that think they that would cheer and say, yes, get rid of that group, whoever that may be, because we don't like them and they're the ones attacking us. But it's the same thing in reverse. So I find interesting points like this where it seems, and maybe not, maybe it's not by design, but you can see how this could have been set up in a way to, to make the very people who are pushing back against censorship find a reason to support it. We always got to find those little points in there and then realize whether or not it's meant to be that way that that does happen. So right now you'll have people, like I point out with the right, saying that trans people shouldn't have guns. And you go, whoa, look at that. Just like that on a dime, you suddenly have a situation where people that say, shall not be infringed, are like, except right there. <laughs> well, that's, that's a problem. Now, I think this is going to be used in a larger way. That's kind of the overall point of it, but I'm interested to see what happens. And Whitney kind of nailed it here by saying, well, first he points out, it is impossible to tell. Oh, well, this is what I, well, see, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself. I forgot I didn't organize this well. <laughs> Let me see this one first then, since that's kind of what he says next here. So first of all, he came up and said, to be super clear, I am pro-free speech, but against anti-Semitism of any kind. Now, I will be very clear that he doesn't necessarily say he will censor that, but let's be clear that, that Yaccarino and the rest of them have made that abundantly clear. They will, without question. So, that's, so my point is, well, you either support free speech or you don't, Elon. What you're saying, if you're saying Twitter will censor mean words, which is what that is, is that you do not support free speech. You support limited speech. I've said this before, which is quite popular today. <laughs> it is. Although wholly unconstitutional, just be honest about that. I mean, I would respect people far more if they just came out and made a valid argument for why they think free speech should no longer be a thing. 
I'll aggressively disagree with you, but at least we can have an honest conversation coming out and saying, we all believe in free speech, except this right here. (laughs) Well, you just completely contradicted yourself. You either believe in it or you don't. There is no lines to be drawn within free speech. So just be honest and say, I agree with almost free speech. I agree with limited speech. And here's the only thing we should box out. But they'll never do that because they all somewhere in their minds know that that's ridiculous, that you're challenging the shall not be infringed inalienable constitutional right that we all pretend we support. So they, they contort themselves into this weird position, which is what the government does all the time. So it's interesting to see how this is working because it's one step at a time, one little small movement and one small psyop and one more step. Wow, guys. Okay, can you let me know you can hear me? <laughs> you got to give me a second to get reestablished here. I just got I just got completely kicked out. That's wild. This is just so ridiculous. I guess we can just pretend that was a glitch midstream, but just let me know you can hear me. Let me know everything's back on. My god. So, I get so here's what happens when that just happens. So my entire computer just crashed and restarted. Again, with brand new computer plenty of space as I always go over. I make sure of it every single time. And now I just lost all of the work that I had up. 
but we'll still do it anyway because that's how we roll. Because this is the kind of thing that happens when you're a nonpartisan objective reporter in the field. Let's see here. Uh, just bear with me for a second as I get organized because I just lost everything. Man, oh, man. Okay. Let me know. You, you guys, can everything sound okay? Okay, what's going on here? Okay, here's real, real, what I'm going to do really quickly, guys, is I'm going to play a quick clip just so I can get everything organized, and then we'll get right back to it. I just, that's just, can you, can you, I, you almost can hear, I know what you're, everyone's, okay, you talk about the ADL and this all gets shut down immediately. That's, that's pretty funny to me. <laughs> oh, man. All right, give me one second. I heard earlier that there's no real concern about aluminum because it's such a small amount and so it really shouldn't matter. But the kind of aluminum that we put into vaccines is a different kind of aluminum that we see environmentally. This is called a nanoparticle and nanoparticles bind really tightly to the bacteria antigens, the virus antigens, the food protein antigens and any other contaminants that are in the vaccines that we may not know about. And we know that the biochemical properties of nanoparticles is that they are capable of entering the brain. And so we have not evaluated the safety of the aluminum nanoparticle and its injection and where it goes when it gets into the body and whether it gets into the brain. Do vaccine ingredients belong in the brain? No. Do they get into the brain? No one has ever studied it. But animal studies using the same chemicals that are in vaccines that we give to children directly demonstrate that the vaccine ingredients do enter the brain. We are ignoring this information. There are scientists in Europe who've actually done studies on the aluminum nanoparticle and have shown that it can persist in the brain for years and decades. And so what we're seeing is a large outbreak of neurodevelopmental disabilities in adults, including Alzheimer's. And one of the main factors that they're finding in the brains of people with Alzheimer's is the aluminum nanoparticle that's directly related to the vaccines that we're giving. So we have never studied whether the aluminum that we're giving in vaccines gets into the brain, and we've never measured whether it stays in the brain and what it does if it does stay in the brain. But we do know that vaccines are supposed to cause inflammation in the body. But we have more than half of our children with chronic inflamed conditions. And we've never allowed ourselves to ask the question, if the vaccines cause inflammation acutely, do they continue to create inflammation chronically? We have one in five with neurodevelopmental disabilities, one in 10 with ADD and ADHD, one in 35 with autism, one in 11 with asthma, and one in 20 under the age of five with seizures. something called molecular mimicry, which means the body sees those viruses thinking that it's foreign, but actually finds pieces of those viruses that match pieces of the self. And the immune system doesn't differentiate between what it's been told to reject and itself. So it will turn the immune system on itself, leading to an autoimmune condition. We know this about hepatitis B. We know it about the Gardasil vaccine. And we know it about the flu vaccine. 
And we continue to say unequivocally that the vaccines have been studied effectively. All right, guys. Well, bear with me here just because <laughs> I can't even begin to, to explain how much gets lost when that kind of thing happens. Not even to mention all of my many different pirate channels I now have to seek out and reassign up, re-log back into. But as we go through, you're going to be inevitably, you're, you're going to see the lack of organization because the things are no longer set up the way they were. So just bear with me on that for the podcast as well. It's, you know, fr- quite frankly, if I was not, if you guys all weren't here, I'd probably just stop and start again later because it's really ridiculous. But you're all here, so let's continue. So uh, going back into the point. <clears throat> So he says, to be super clear, I'm pro-free speech, but I'm against anti-Semitism of any kind. And this person jumps in with a you know, very partisan point. It's been proven the Democrat groups buy bots, you know, which we can prove that they all do. But of course, people that only participate in the partisan game will choose to ignore facts on the wrong side of their narrative, which I don't know why people listen to people like that. I just don't. But it says it's impossible to tell with unverified accounts whether you're dealing with a small or large number of real people. As sophisticated bots are virtually indistinguishable from humans. With unverified accounts, there's also no way to tell if the organization complaining was somehow complicit in creating the very thing that they're complaining about. So as you can see, it's leading to a very clear direction where Whitney points out. So to own the EDL, right, so logically following along problem, reaction, solution, then we should verify all accounts with the help of the Israeli tech firm that you hired to harvest biometric data from verified accounts, which is real. How many anti-Zionists will fall for that? Probably most of them, if that's what's really happening. And I, but I agree with that, though. And decentralized news adds to that. Fighting the bots is X pretext for de-anonymizing on the road to a form of digital ID and social credit score. It's exactly what's coming. It's not even secret. All of these people out there, like the people on the right, like we just pointed at, that are going, yay, Elon, saving free speech, are either, t- I mean, I, I don't, I'm trying to be mean, but if you can't, you're either choosing to ignore how clear this is, or, or you just can't see it, put it that way. That should be enough for people to recognize who they should be. There are people out there that are misleading you in a lot of aggressive ways because of partisanship, and I'm really tired of mincing words about it. It's, it's, it is destroying these conversations. They repeatedly take steps that allow bots and imposters to flourish and fail to take less invasive steps that would actually stop them. Problem, reaction, solution. 100% agree with that. Now, on the point of the ADL, Keith Woods points out something really interesting that you would love to see. So first of all, this, this just happened on the 4th. So they're in a spaces. And he says, watch the moment I exposed Israeli intelligence officer Vivian Berkovici trying to disrupt the ADL files Twitter space, right? So Elon to sue the ADL. Now, what's funny about this is, well, you, you can listen to him say it, but what he says, you can look, it's provable. On, it's on the Wikipedia page of this person. And it's just funny because, oh, again, I'll let, it, I'll let him speak to this. This. Other I've been people. accused of all kinds of horrible things. Per- this is her speaking, by the way. Personally. Because I'm Jewish and a number of listeners here, and maybe they'll have the courage and integrity to speak up, have already messaged me on Twitter saying, you know, oh, well, we know which side you're on, don't we? Okay. And you see, this is how the game is played. Now, I'm not, those people are, they very well may be real racist, right? Why, how do I know? But what's ridiculous, what's childish is to say this mean person sent mean words directly to me. Therefore, all of Twitter must be controlled. I mean, that's what's happening. That that is th- so are you really that childish? You can't just rub, just brush it off and say that person sucks or report them because because th- they'll do something about it. But no, you have to step over all that and say because of that, 
there's a racist problem here. There's a there's an anti-Semitism problem here, and we have to control speech to make sure that doesn't happen. I, look, even if you genuinely think that there is an anti-Semitism problem on this platform, you, you're literally saying, therefore, we will we will ignore your inalienable right that we all agree with, that we all swear oaths to in every position of authority. Like, that should be laughed at. And of course, the problem, though, is that, that you treat it that way. They act like you're then a secret racist. And that's it's there's no evidence to any of that. But that's we all know how that works. So here she is in an, on a space that's talking about Elon suing the ADL because they are unjustly pressuring companies to not invest in them. Or you can argue pressuring them because there's racism there, even though you can show racism on Facebook and on every other platform any of them use. I can even show you racist comments on the comment section of mainstream media. You know why? Because they all go everywhere and do this everywhere, guys. So it's really dumb to pretend that's a unique thing to just this location, but it's being used. It's like saying Roger Waters is racist. It's like saying any of these people, like uh, uh, Andrew Bridgeton, for literally referencing what a Holocaust survivor said about COVID, he becomes an anti-Semite racist, whatever. And they're still saying that. And so my point is, this is the argument they're going with. So listen to how they respond. He responds. Um, oh, a dual citizen. Ergo, dual Canadian Israeli citizen. Therefore, she can't be trusted, can she? Oh, I get this. I get messages. Any of the people who wrote those messages have the integrity to speak up now and tell me? Why well, Vivian, I have a question. If we're talking about conflicts of interest, uh, is it true you work for an Israeli intelligence firm called Black Cube? No, who are you? No. Oh, and she said no, first of all. Who are you, right? That's the response of somebody that, like, that's, you know what that reminds me of, in fact? It reminds me of the way that the rabbi acted with RFK Jr. when the person in the crowd rightly asked about how they killed a U.S. journalist. They go, what's your name? What's your name? <laughs> Why? What does that have to do with the point, right? But he, what he said is verifiable, except not scrub the Wikipedia page. But guess what? We have the Wayback Machine. Woods. Nice to meet you. I'm going to you. Black Cube. No, no, who are you? No. Keith Woods. Nice to meet you. I get accused of being yeah, outside every time I pop into his face. I, th- I think we're going back yeah. to the to the moving away. Moving well, away. No, it's on, it's on our Wikipedia. Yeah, yeah, it's even, on our Wikipedia. Even, I'm not sure, sure, sure. You, you can state it. People can check out on the Wikipedia. I just want to go back to the specific points. And, and there's one point you made earlier, Vivian. She didn't really answer. Yeah, but you, it's, she jumped off. Uh, that's like I wanted to keep yeah. it on the particular. Oh. And she's gone. Just Just like that. Think about how dark. I mean, that's very, very clear. So you get called out for something that's real. And now here's the thing, though. I bet you the argument will become you meant that in a racist way. <laughs> so a factual thing that you can prove on your page. Point, so that, this is how this stuff tends to work. That's just my, my opinion. But I, that's how these things tend to work. That the only reason they brought that up is the implication is I'm somehow then compromised. Well, it's a conflict of interest. It's like any other situation. And like I've said before about even the dual citizen conversation, which is a real and important conversation. I would be just, well, I shouldn't say just as concerned because I very much think the Israeli government, nothing to do with Jewish people, but the Israeli government and the Zionist aspect are absolutely, absolutely unjustly influencing our policy. But they'll contort that into whatever racist thing they want that to sound like. But the point is, my general point is, I don't. it could be a French dual citizen, a Saudi Arabian dual citizen. I would think that's concerning if they're in positions of authority in policymaking or influencing things that affect our lives. Shouldn't we be able to ask whether that other citizenship will influence that? It's just so stupid. So here's what he said after that. 
He says, wow, another Israeli intelligence officer, Vivian Berkovici, fled yesterday, or after, excuse me, after she fled yesterday's space, when I asked her about the intelligence background, there was an immediately a number of amendments made to her Wikipedia page attempting to scrub her connection to Black Cube. Now, Black Cube is the group that Weinstein hired. They're supposedly ex-Mossad, like, an, like a protection agency, but they're not. They're not ex-anything, and this has been proven. So the, it's funny how you got Black Cube and Black, all these different overlaps, but the interesting thing about it is, you lie about it, then you immediately have it censored, but we can all check on the way back machine. You can look for yourself. Doesn't that show you there's an alarming problem here? Why would, okay, look, if it wasn't an issue and you just think he's being racist, why wouldn't you just say, yeah, I am. And here's why it makes sense. And you're a racist, but nope, you lie and then scrub the page. Speaks volumes. Now, as that's all happening, and by the way, I highly recommend you check out Whitney's work around this whole overlap. We've had a lot of great interviews on it. She's written a lot of great, a lot of great work, both on Last American Vagabond and in Limited Hangout, about the Israeli intelligence overlap to all of these public-private partnerships that are flooding into the United States and elsewhere. Carbine 911 and the idea that these are 911 call centers that are being routed through an Israeli intelligence-run and backed entity. Again, you can make that about what you want. That's concerning no matter what. I don't want any other country having influence over the uh, things like that, vulnerable situations. Because it could, they, as they've stated themselves, it is more important to progress their agenda. I mean, look, this comes from any position. As an American, when you're overseas, it's pretty easy to argue that you care more about your American concepts about what you want to do with your future than you care about what's happening in front of you with them. Just in a general sense, not like a person, like, you know, human rights thing. That's just because people care about their countries. So, you know, see, my point is just to, to frame it as something racist is an intentional thing. And it certainly could be, but we see this happening, right? So all of that is important to understand as this technological direction screams forward. Here on the Business Insider, Elon Musk's X tells users that it could use their post to train AI models. That's not even that new. He, made, he mentioned that more than once in the past, even saying that advertising was sort of like one of the reasons, but more of the money from this will come from data mining. He was very clear about that. This is where it's all going. And a lot of these people that support him pretend like that's not true. Now, I don't know what this may be why Sarah Abdallah got off the platform based on the fact that it says this account does not exist. As I said, it seems that Sarah has either been removed, censored, or just decided to delete her account. And most everyone seems to be saying she's done this before. Well, she kind of take breaks, but I don't remember deleting her account necessarily, but who knows? It's interesting though, but I think a lot of people are going to leave because of stuff like this. Now for me, as I was saying the other day, I'm not going to take any more. Like I've, I said it before, if the blue check required something other than my phone number that was already on file, I wouldn't have done it. And I'm not going to do anything next. If they demand facial scans or ID scans, I'm not going to do that. I just don't want to continue to add to this control structure one step at a time, the boiling frog. But maybe that's why people are going to start to drop off. We also have examples of other interesting developments. Here's Brett Weinstein saying, my account seems to be specially restricted on X. Brett Weinstein, which is very interesting. High engagement tweets stay well below the fold for, on trends. Not the case under previous management. I brought this to Musk's attention. He asked Brett for more info and then blocked him. This is real. I mean, why don't people feel like this is a, this is an alarming, obvious reality. There's something fishy going on here. These are people that support what they're doing. He then proves to him there's a problem and Elon blocks him. That's scary, guys. I don't mean scary in the sense of like, you know, horror movie, but like that's showing you how surreptitious this really is. 
They all they just don't want people to see it, I guess. And they said, here's an example of the issue. You can look at the engagement if you want for yourself. But we're all feeling this. That That's like five or six main Elon supporters that have been blocked by him now. Guess what? I mean, do we need to tell you I told you so? I don't think so. Here is another, but we already mentioned this about the biometric info. So the X has already updated their privacy policy to reflect that they're going to be co- going to be collecting biometric info, face, eyes, fingerprints, and so on for ID verification soon. But as well as the fact that they're saying we're going to be asking for you to scan your, your driver's license. And it's already been floated that it could be used in a way as your digital ID. And what do you know? Right at the same time, California DMV allows 1.5 million people to get a mobile driver's license. How long until they go, hey, you can just store it on your WeChat, excuse me, Twitter, or X, the X everything app, right? It's, it's just so obvious where this is going. And it's not, it's not just the United States. India embraces facial recognition for smart cities. China's way out down that road already. It's happening all around the world. Here is, so see, I should just do this really quickly because all these are going to take forever to load because the whole thing refreshed on me. Bear with me for 10 seconds. This will speed things up a little bit. All right, good enough. Where were we? And then Jung points out, pay by face expansion brings retail biometrics to South Africa, India, UAE, the United States. This is, this is right now. Not something about the future. There are places all over the world. We saw Whole Foods and all Amazon things, hand scans. This is facial scans now to buy stuff. It's coming. It's coming. And if we don't stand up, it's going to happen whether we like it or not. Now, I want to talk about East, Pal- uh, East Palestine in general for a second, but also Maui. <laughs> in regard to just some updates on what's happening here that I thought were important to include. Now, I keep pointing this out. Oh, wait a minute. Oh, that's why. This, I have this over here. Excuse me. I'm misorganized. So let's start with Maui, first of all. So I wanted people to see some updates here. First of all, if you haven't seen my great interview, my, 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 the excellent interview Shelby had with me, because Shelby does great work in this, you know, kind of keeping people informed about what's going on on the ground in an honest way. Locals convinced Maui fire is not accident, as evidence suggests foul play. And then we've, I followed up with her not too long ago in regard to... <laughs> Come on, guys. There we go. Ongoing cover-up in Maui fires with thousands of children missing, August 30th, 2023. Now, I wanted to follow up on this in general. Make sure you watch these, though, because she does have a lot of interesting takes on things that, you know, I haven't heard many other places. But I wanted to follow up on these topics in general. God dang it. On the missing children. So, first of all, this was where I first saw this, uh, one of the updates. This August 24th, right? So, this was on August 30th. So we had these these documents out, or this one and uh, this one here about where. Th- Bear with me about where these uh, the information was coming from originally. This was County of Maui releases validated list of names of individuals who remain unaccounted for following. Uh, that's weird, inter- interesting headline, but the bottom line was they're saying that they they have a number. It was highlighted. Let me see if I can find it. <clears throat> 338 individuals who have been reported unaccounted for. Now, by all accounts, and I mean that from like pretty much anybody you have listened to in Maui, that they see, they don't seem to believe that. But, you know, there's a lot of emotions flying around. There's a lot of information. There's a lot of false information coming from inside and outside. So it's a discern it for yourself. 
But quite frankly, I would trust the people's opinions of who they know is missing on the island over what the government is telling us. That's just me. You can decide for yourselves. But 338 seems a short number for what we were hearing and even what they were saying based on this information right here. What did I just... How in the heck did that just happen? I just showed the 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 um the document. Oh, here it is. I'm sorry. So it's just everything. See, that's what I'm talking about. I apologize for the delays. It refreshes, and I had it lined up and everything. So here was the document. This is where the the, the number of missing kids. Are, this is from what I've traced it back to the original quote. This is from a a a Hawaiian government report enrollment and movement for Lahaina complex schools, Lahaina Luna complex schools. And there was 2,025 kids that had not yet re-enrolled, even though they were supposed to. So that's just unaccounted for. And that was a fair statement. Where are these kids, the 2000 kids apparently that are supposed to be in school that aren't right. So that, that, that's where that was stemming from. And there's a report about more than 2000 children from the public schools missing, but see what they're saying is we're going, they're saying, okay, well, we have all these names you can read about, and only 388 that we can tell are missing. Now, I don't know if that means adults or children. I don't know. I'm just, from what I'm getting from people on the ground, they're not buying this. September 1st, 385 people remain unaccounted for following the Lahaina wildfire. Now, here is the directly from Maui Strong. Disaster unaccounted for, same thing. Saying 388, 385, excuse me, unaccounted for. And the same thing. They've got the list of all the names. So what I recommend is if you're there and you know people, you're from the, I would look and, you know, decide for yourself. Double check and see if you know people that are on there that you haven't seen or things like that. But it's, you know, it's a difficult situation. People could have left. I mean, especially when you don't have any, I'm still hearing that people barely have internet. I mean, how is that even possible this far afterward? So I think that's one of the reasons people can't communicate. People could have left the island for all we know, and they're not even be able to communicate with each other. It's very frustrating. And to me, that in and of itself is corruption, guys, controlling that information. Now, here was where this came from, FBI the Honolulu field office is assisting in Maui police department in seeking information pertaining to unaccounted for individuals. Oh good. I'm sure glad you stepped up almost a month later and said, Hey, we'll help you look for people after it's been a month screams disingenuous. If you ask me sort of like FEMA saying, Hey, well, we're, we were there immediately, but we didn't set up an office until the 16th, almost a week later, not buying it. Nobody saw you there. I think we're being lied to anyway. There's also the point about the school buses that people are bringing up. Now, you got, I'm not sure whether there might have been another part of it, but from what I can tell, the school buses were used, as you can see a couple of reports from, from August 11th, saying that they were used to evacuate people after the fact. So that's why they might have appeared to be gone after the fire, as well as videos actually showing them driving people on the 10th. <clears throat> so that does not mean there wasn't some bigger story there, but you know, as a, 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 before jumping to conclusions about theories flying around, evidence is, is important. So I don't think that's where that would have been if there's an issue there, but I still do feel that there seems to be a number of people, specifically children, that are not accounted for. Now, this was highlighted. I'm probably just going to leave this then for time, but this I think this was an important point. This is what Shelby and I went through. Now, this was on the 24th, and ultimately the bottom line is that it tells you very clearly that they were on the 8th, that they weren't communicating to people that there was even a problem, that they didn't even realize. They said, I thought everyone had gotten out safely. 
Like, how was that even possible with what was going on, right? Now, yes, they say the, the power and out, but the, the, there is obviously walkie-talkies. There is obviously C, CB radios. These people have all sorts of communication across Ireland as the government, and you're going to pretend like we didn't know what was going on? I just don't buy that. He said he didn't even hear about fatalities until the very next day. And they go on to say that they, uh, the, that they, were, they had gone over to, to Oahu for a, for a meeting about what were the, the potential risk. Like they were warned about the fires being a risk the day before and had meetings about this. And then we're supposed to pretend like they just act. I know the way that the stories don't add up. To me, this shows obvious foreknowledge that they were aware there was a problem, that they went off island, and every, you know, and then no, uh, no sirens, no, no water, just no canceled school. I mean, everything about this is a very clear red flag. You can decide for yourself. I wouldn't jump to conclusions, but right now, I think there's more than enough evidence to suggest there was some, you know, corrupt actions taking place. Oh, that's interesting. This one's been made private now. All right. Well, this was the the, guy, the real estate guy that he was being kind of manipulated on the side of the road where he tried to stop and just ask about why he wasn't allowed to take pictures and they wouldn't even identify themselves. These were local. These were local police in those. So, again, one of those stories about, you know, unmarked foreign police cars. Well, no, they, it turns out they're just local Hawaiian police and they're there in these different cars. And I, I could see that in this video. A lot of fake information flying around, but the point is that they were basically not identifying themselves. They weren't allowing it. They weren't even citing the law. I mean, these are things they're required to do and basically just told them because of the emergency, you're not allowed to be here or take pictures. Welcome to the age of rule by emergency dictate. That's how this works. Now, we also talked about the soil tack. I really recommend you watch this video. It was a shorter one, and it just gets into what this really is, and it's pretty disgusting. This stuff is something that was developed in the Middle East by the Department of Defense, with their, and it's currently using their nanotechnology. And this is about something that was designed to, to basically stop the soil from eroding and also stop the, the sand and dust from flying up. And that was done not for the environmental benefit, but to stop the sandstorms in the Middle East because they were trying to invade and carry out their military actions. Now, this is being contorted to be applied on Maui, on Lahaina, to apparently stop the bad asbestos and, and lead from blowing around and for going into the water, even though it explicitly says they should not come in contact with bodies of water. I mean, everything about this, please watch this, because it, I'm not going to be able to encapsulate this in 30 seconds. This is an important story, and it's crazy that this is going to be deployed, they say, after they're done searching for, for, for you know, emergency searching. And it's going to be something that's sprayed over the top of everything. And it's, it's a co-polymer. Co polymer. I don't know why they're saying this is water-based. This is not something that I think is safe. And ultimately, there's, there are issues with dust flam being flammable. There are issues with this stuff having some overlap with health. Not extreme. But over all of that, what about all the evidence? This is a crime scene, whether or not you think it was an accident. The way they dealt with this makes it a crime scene. And you're going to dump something over the top of this and they, they, like, think of it like they're going to dye it pink, as they said. Think of it like a, a like almost like a cement kind of plaster covering of everything in Lahaina. What about their property? What about their own air? What if they don't want that? It's just this is crazy to me. And it feels like a cover up of the evidence, if you want my honest opinion. Now, as well as that, we have another very obvious example, not lost on the average CNN or Fox watcher, understand, where the independent media was reporting this immediately due to witness testimony as well as other information, all while being called fake news by the mainstream media. Yet now they come out weeks later and say, hey, highway exiting Lahaina was blocked for hours. Now, good. Say it. People need to hear it. But this is the kind of thing we're talking about in a general sense. 
was it, it, there's a reason that now it's being stated. Maybe because the cat's out of the bag. Maybe because it was important to not let it be seen then. And now it, it doesn't matter. The point is that when this was being reported, in the midst of all of this, it was important for people to see this. It was true. And it was called fake news. We were called misinformers and, and, and propaganda, you know, whatever they were framing the independent media for exposing this. Then on September 2nd, almost a month later, then they go, okay, yes. And here's one of the posts, and I wasn't not even close to the first one saying this on October, August 17th, that you can hear him say the police told him I was ordered, ordered to keep them here. And many of those people died in those areas. It's just sad, right? So this is a big point. Partisanship is a huge part of that. Just controlled flow of information. And we can't allow that. It's, it, this is the problem. People go, well, at least they know now. Well, maybe. But maybe there's a reason that that was controlled that way. Here's the actual article if you want to read it. Now, last points on this is Scott C. Smith makes an interesting point about the continuation of this problem in East Palestine. So we know that what they're doing in Maui is saying, oh, my God, lead and asbestos, even though that's like literally everywhere in this country. It's in your water. It's in your homes. It's in, you know, whatever specifically like lead, but then also PFAS everywhere. They don't seem to care about that anywhere right now, especially not in East Palestine. They're, in fact, telling them you're wrong. Oh, you're vomiting still and you're bleeding out of your eyes. Not really, but, you know, literally having the coughing up blood, vomiting, like literally still sick as of now. After all this time, months and months and months after this happened and they're still suffering and he's still proving that it's not gone away and they just go, we don't care, actually. We're not even responding anymore. But over here in Lahaina, we're going to literally spray cement over your homes because we think lead's there. Does anybody buy that? Here's what Scott says. East Palestine crisis mirrors what, tur- what turned a Missouri city into a ghost town. Probably the point. Scott C. Smith in a statement to News Nation, he says the EPA continues to obfuscate the increased dioxin burden on East Palestine community. The fact that they know this, because he reported it, Texas A&M came and reported it, their own people came and got sick, both the FDA and the CDC. Scott C. Smith found a f- up to 14,000% more dioxins in these homes compared to the controls. This is some of the most dangerous stuff on the planet, guys. They know this, and yet they act dumbfounded. Six parts per trillion is an accepted background level for dioxins and residents throughout the United States that have not been impacted by contamination events. Clearly, the subject residential properties in East Palestine, along with other testing results, point to an increased dioxin burden on the community as a result of this derailment. And let's not forget that it's now been found by a court that they did not need to burn that. Still, people don't know that. Right? Maybe Laura Loomer can point it out and everybody will talk about it. Investigation found East Palestine control burn unnecessary. Norfolk lied. That's the important part of the story. They found that they withheld information. They did not tell the chief police, the volunteer, or excuse me, volunteer uh, fire chief, that the expert told them they was most likely not going to explode because it was actually treated vinyl chloride that nobody still knows about. And then he went to the fire chief and said, What's going to explode? You have to make a decision by tonight. And then he made a decision to empty this and burn it. Why aren't these people in jail? Because this system is corrupt. And they probably had a part in it, as far as I'm concerned. But also, in case you missed this part of it, after all that happened, everyone screamed for updates and and, and new le- legislation to make this safer and blah, blah, blah. And then what happened? Not even, not even uh, what was it? I forget the exact date. Now, weeks later, August 3rd, they were already trying to 
water down the bills that were happening because of their disaster. They hadn't even finished dealing with East Palestine, and Norfolk and the rest of them were already lobbying people to remove the restrictions that were put forward because of it. How else do we need to see? What else do we need to see to recognize how corrupt this is? They don't even have, they're not even afraid to come up and lobby to remove the things that were put in place to stop what just happened again. Because we're looking in a different direction. They don't, they know they're not going to get in trouble. That's what that shows you. Unbelievable. Now, on the idea of contamination, and this is kind of one of those other bigger points, it's important that we don't get mired in the partisan version of the story because it's almost never the full story. That's how partisanship works. Now, this is a post by Wall Street Apes that says there's viral research going around saying that 20% of Gen Z identifies as LGBTQ, which is really just a, you know, a lot of different things, but more of a... uh, a contagion factor, but it says, you know, like social contagion, what could it be? What could be causing this dramatic increase? Now, of course, you could argue that it might be some of this, and I have made many points myself, and I'll show you the links below about the endocrine disrupting chemicals. That is likely also part of this, but it says, could they be poisoning us? Well, according to RFK Jr., the answer is yes. Well, that's not what he said, though. So again, the partisan angle is to make it about the extreme version of the people want. He didn't say that. He didn't say they're poisoning us, but he did say that it is being used in our water supply. He said there is atrazine in our water supply, which we've also shown you on our show. And if you put in a lab, if you are in a lab with atrazine in a tank full of frogs, it will feminize every frog in there. And you got this video down here, of course, and it says Alex Jones said, I don't like them putting chemicals in the water to turn the freaking frogs gay. Yeah. And that's how that works. Now, my point was. It's much more than atrazine. And of course, even RFK Jr. has made that clear. But by keeping this very important large story anchored to turning the frogs gay and quote hashtag Alex is right, only seems to desi- designed to stop the genuine investigation and awareness, even from people that you know de- might be on the other side of the paradigm that also might care about this, had you not framed it in a way that guarantees they'll dismiss it, awareness of the full picture. And you know what? It works. My point was, as you can see in these discussions here, weird that all of a sudden that image doesn't show up, are endocrine-disrupting chemicals causing gender dysphoria? The answer is yes. Now, it's not, I can't, that doesn't mean that everybody dealing with that is because of that. It might be. But the facts are the science make that very clear. It's obvious. They're endocrine-disrupting chemicals. They're manipulating your hormonal makeup or the way your body produces hormones. And then I interviewed Dr. Mercola, and we talked about the COVID vaccine in the same discussion. It's definitely part of this. So my point is, if you make this about one kind of cartoonish version of this, there's even, you can even see him in this with his, oops, dressing up like a frog. You know, I mean, this is, I mean, look, and you may say maybe that reaches people. Showmanship. Oh, he doesn't even show it in there. But the point is that it's not just atrazine, and it's important to make sure we're clear about that. And if we don't, it gets mired in one simple thing that can be debunked, even though not really, but that's how this works. And I think that's important. So I'm going to do, I'm going to go through this very quickly because I want to get to the bulk of the information of today that I think the, the important information of today, but obviously the elephant in the room for some people that have seen the conversations about what's going on. And we've been talking a lot for a long time about Azov movement and that conversation and, and, you know, operation aero project, aerodynamic, all, all of the bigger picture of how the CIA has been building extremism not the left or the right, but your government. In fact, p- possibly even an abs or a, a rogue version of our government as the shadow government or the CIA in, in particular, right? That could be part of it. 
Here's the article I was just doing. As I was just going through this based on the Christopher Polhas discussion in Florida, right? And after we got done with this, it turns out that Laura Loomer went out and broke all of this story for everybody. But what really happened was it was one part of this story. Where really it boils down to the fact that it was Jake from the you know QAnon shaman, for those that don't know his full name, went on her show and stated that the FBI asked him if he knew that this Ukrainian guy that we've been talking about for two years is in fact a, a Ukrainian spy. Now, I have no reason to, to doubt that Jake was honest about that, but that's nowhere near proving or verifying anything for that matter. It's Jake said, and now I'm saying, right, as in her. But the whole point about it is we have long since proven that he is a Ukrainian up from the Azov movement, that the CIA is aware, that the FBI is aware. And I, it's, it's, I'm not talking about me as the last American vagabond. People like Alex Rubenstein, the Gray Zone in general, Whitney Webb. A lot of people have been breaking this down for a long time. So it brings me to the point where we see this happen. Now, I will say right out of the gate, and I've said this many times, anybody pretending like people don't care about credit for their work, is being, they're being ridiculous. And I'll show you astoundingly clear, and I'll show you in an astoundingly clear way that she very clearly cares about credit for this. What's just interesting, because we, I come out and make a very a clear point. She just says, this is massive. You all need to read this. I have extent, exclusively confirmed that the FBI identified Ukrainian operatives and neo-Nazis who were at the Capitol on January 6th. Well, you didn't confirm Jake said so, and you believe him. The, the, I'll show you where the FBI and Newsweek say we can't confirm it, even though I can, and that the FBI declined to comment. So really, you have Jake saying that. But I'm gonna go, I agree that that is the reality. But my point is that's one small part of a gigantic story that a lot of people have been putting a lot of work into for a long time. So to say you exclusively confirmed this or broke this story, as we'll continue to see as it goes out, is just not true. And, it's, and basically, the, everything you've already heard us report over the, for a long time. And so I simply said, apparently, she has exclusively confirmed the exact story we've been breaking down for, since 2021. Now, I didn't intend for this to become some gigantic thing. But my point is, doesn't that, doesn't, don't people care about the truth? Doesn't it matter to you out there that, that is the truth? That, I mean, Whitney wrote her article in March 2022 breaking down all of this information, maybe not specifically about Sergey Dibinion, but since then, Alex Rubenstein, myself, I mean, I'll show you many examples, like this article here, which we'll get to in a minute, from January 18th, 2021, this before, before even my work. Were Ukrainian neo-Nazis involved in the capital C shell, right? So you can't pretend like you exclusively confirmed something that is out there. You could have said, I was told by Jake that the FBI asked him this and nobody else has heard that part of the story. That is absolutely true. See my point though? So, and here's why this matters to me. Oops, hold on. I just lost my place. Here's why this matters to me. At this point, I didn't really, I thought it was going to, you know, kind of drift in the background. But when this became something that I saw very quickly becoming kind of rushed through the right, as I said, the right machine, just like there's a left machine, I realized what was happening, which is that this story is now being kind of mired into the two-party illusion, and it's becoming Democrats framing Republicans, which that's a very small, watered-down version of a much larger story, as well as the fact that apparently now it's going to be, as she's saying, used to vindicate Trump, even though you can clearly prove that all of this was happening during Trump's administration as well. So it's just a really silly game of the partisanship, and guess what's going to happen? It's just going to lose the conversation in a to a partisan way. 
As I said, the right machine, and this is Chuck saying, look at what she just uncovered. And this is the point of all of it, right? Were Ukrainian intelligence assets. Well, that's she didn't uncover that. There was a lot of other people that have been breaking that story down. Now, what I was going to say before, though, is that, of course, I care about credit for a lot of the work that I've been doing, but that's a very small fraction of it. Now, people are going to frame it however they like, but all the people acting like it's embarrassing for me to care about credit are the ones ignoring one that she's clearly caring that this is something that she did and they're clearly defending that. So you all clearly care about that. But also the fact that doesn't it matter to you that that's the truth. I find that really interesting that people don't seem to care about it when they're caught up in the partisanship savior complex. But as I said, the right machine is now, ha- now has it. They have something pushing it that they, that they there's somebody pushing that they can align with. So it, quote, breaks. Had any of them cared about the truth over politics, they would have covered it when Alex Rubenstein covered it or when we broke it down in 2021 or it's, it's all political. My point was it's a two-party, somebody asked a question. I said, this is a two-party illusion, watered-down version, framing it as Democrats, framing Republicans. It's much bigger than partisan fighting. It always is, because that's not even genuinely real from the true string pullers of everything, in my opinion. That's how these stories die. That's the point I was making before. Likely the point. We also provide all the source material, by the way, so each person can verify themselves. And it's not about credit. Not entirely. Very small fraction of it is, obviously, and that's always clear. I've always made that clear. But here's Jake Chansley saying, are you paying attention? The, mocking, the Operation Mockingbird Media is trying to spin this mind-blowing story and cover-up and framing what she said here. And he just said, and this person says, do you realize that Laura has been the loudest regarding the story, but she did not break the story? Referencing Whitney and others and saying, she broke the fact, he, Jake responds by saying, she broke the fact that the feds told me that there was a spy. Right, so that's the only difference, guys. Realize that important part there, that they knew that, they, they, that they knew who he was and asked me if I knew him or had any contact with him. Now, again, I'm not saying I disagree with him, but I don't know that. See, as if you were hearing this from me, I wouldn't say, I just confirmed what Jake told me with no evidence. That would be pretty silly. But that's what's happening. And I said, well, if you're interested, Jake, there's a lot more to this story, and it's much bigger than the partisan media frames it, as usual. The FBI admitting this is telling, but either, even then, you know, I don't, they're, they're not commenting, but it says, but we already knew this and that U.S. intelligence was involved for a long time. Here's Whitney's article and a bunch of others. General Flynn. Laura's exposed something so outrageous and so fundamentally wrong with our U.S. government. Now, nowhere in here is it saying that Jake told the FBI, or the FBI told Jake. You see, what's turned into is that all of this story is Laura's story. Now, that, that should matter to everybody, because that's just simply not true. All, I mean, everything you're going to see in here, even the idea that these are supposedly... Facial recognition, which you'll see here argue. I don't see any evidence of facial recognition proving anything. I see images with green squares on them that you've taken from other people's work. So, you know, maybe that's probably, you could assume that. That's interesting. What did they say here? The only picture unequivocally placing the subject in Ukraine is a doctored picture. Besides all the artifacts contained in the region. That's so interesting. So here, here is Twitter now arguing that he was never in Ukraine. Even though I've, I've, the Gray Zone and Alex, I believe, have proven that. And I think there's been a lot of articles where he stated that. So if you want to pretend like he's lying about that, that's interesting. But Boneface, that's the other guy behind here, right here. Before we ever got to this point, we've already reported on him. Kent McClellan, I believe, he was the person that already went to, the, to Ukraine, how, as, as he claims, and fought alongside them and reported a bunch of war crimes that the Ukrainian side were committing. Not really just, you know, stated them. But so here... It says, if you only knew how bad this really is, Newsweek is now reporting on what I exposed this weekend. Right? So it just continues. The FBI interrogated certain American January Sixers over what they knew. 
They have never released this to the public, and Newsweek confirmed that when they reached to the FBI yesterday and get a statement that they didn't provide a comment. Okay, well, doesn't really confirm much. But I also I can also report that the U.S. intelligence agencies used their media operatives to falsely catalog Dabinian, Sergey, as a Russian. You know, all the stuff you've heard from us when they were along with the Ukrainian spy. We'll get to all of this. Here's the article. FBI knew a Ukrainian spy was at the Capitol, says QAnon Shaman. Now it says, Jacob Chansley, known as the QAnon Shaman, claimed, and by the way, that's where everybody seems to think this story, who is following her along, is like the point of the story. It's, it's a very small, tangential part of everything else. The, the reality being that we've already long since proven that this is going back to Project Aerodynamic, that the CIA has long since been doing this from a nonpartisan perspective, about framing dissidents using the two-party illusion. And of course, this is my point from before, Laura Loomer being a very obvious Zionist who a while back debating George Galloway made the honest argument that everybody in Palestine was a, was a terrorist and that there was no such thing as a Palestine. Think, just let that factor into logic and, and just due diligence and decision-making. The point, though, is that if you're unable to overlap the obvious Israeli involvement in the training of these extremists, in the actions happening inside this country, then you're missing a half the story. But I'm promising you that's not going to come out from this angle from her. But it's saying that the alleged Ukrainian spy participated in the riot at the United States Capitol, which what's interesting, and this is just another note to make fun of Newsweek, (laughs) you can literally prove based on images, based on video, that he was clearly there. So I just love how they act like we can't bend to barricade that. Well, then you guys are pretending your fact checkers is embarrassing. But it says he was sentenced to 41 months in prison over his involvement, but was released earlier this year, which I always found that interesting. Why? I mean, he, I, I think he should have been. I don't think any of these people should really be held accountable for being allowed to walk through the Capitol for the ones that only did that. But it's interesting that he was kind of let off more than some of them. So that made me suspicious. But it says, said an interview with the conservative uh, Laura Loomer, FBI questioned him about Sergei Dabinian and reported the, uh, t- the ties to neo, the, the neo-Nazi Azad Battalion. It's funny how they happily say that, but then pretend that we're wrong when we point that out. <clears throat> but it says the FBI has not confirmed his statement which could not be independently verified. Now, that's interesting. Now, of course, the point of not being verified is that the FBI told him that. We don't need... See, when it gets mired in that point, then people dismiss it. And that's how this works when it's partisanship. The left is going to dismiss it because Laura Loomer said so. The right's going to say it all is exactly what she said because they want to align with somebody on their side. The reality of it is that we already knew this. The CIA has already been directly tied and linked to all of these people. We already knew that the FBI was involved with what happened on January 6th, and we already knew that this person was part of that agenda. We've already walked through all this information. So to just include that he was told that by the FBI only vindicates what we've already been reporting to you. That should matter. And now it's well past that, and it's going to be mired in something that's going to be dismissed, mark my words. Conservatives uh, such as Loomer have raised concerns about the Department of Justice treatment of these of the January 6 individuals <clears throat> and saying that he has not been charged, which I agree with. I think that he's a part of this. But during their private interview, the, F- he, um, the FBI asked him, he said the FBI asked him if he knew the Ukrainian operative who took a photo. Now, I haven't heard them explain this. I haven't heard their interview. I wonder if they said operative or just the Ukrainian, you know, do you know Sergei Dabinian, which they decided was an operative? You know, it's. I, this this information matters. Source material. Chancellor didn't know the guy. An FBI confirmed that the Ukrainian Sergei Dominion was a Ukrainian spy who was affiliated with the Nazi Azov Battalion, according to Loomer, which no, I don't think anybody has yet been able to verify. Not saying it's not true, but again, it's peripheral. It's not even necessary to what we've already proven. 
<clears throat> Loomer's allegations that Dominion was affiliated with the Azad Battalion could not be verified. I mean, think about how dumb that is. Ah, everything's taking too long to load. We have to refresh everything. This is, oops, <laughs> son of a gun. This is one of the people I took this from a long time ago. And I gave him credit for it and shouted him out hugely on the show. This was Nate Thayer back on April 21st, 2021, who literally breaks down pretty much everything that she's saying she discovered herself. You know, the fact that he is clearly a lot, like pretty much everything, by the way, the fact that he was in January 6th, the fact that he was part of in Ukraine, the fact that he was part of the Azov movement, the fact that he was working with the one plus one media station that was Kolomoisky, who was the chief backer of Azov, as well as the chief financier of, of Zelensky, which, by the way, I don't think she's included in her discussions, which is a huge part of it probably because he was the recent, recently the head of the World Jewish Congress and a huge supporter and, and backer with Israel of the Azov movement, that those parts just get left out of the story, which is very important. But now that's loaded. Let's go back. <clears throat> of course you can verify this, right? Even just, even just the images we've talked about, the fact that you can, when in this episode right here on March 2023, months ago, January 6th was always a very clear government operation. And you, I have, you watch it for yourself. It's all sourced. All the links are below. He's obviously part of the Azov movement, and you can prove it. All the links are in the show. <clears throat> now it says, and that's just, that's just Newsweek being ridiculous. Chancey, who was allegedly, what, see, this is so dumb. Allegedly pictured with the Binion? <laughs> what do you mean allegedly? It, it, he was there, and there's plenty of evidence beside that picture, but they just apparently can't figure that out. They can't factor that in. Oh, and that's what's even funnier, by the way. As they're saying that we can't verify any of this, or that he's part of the Azov movement, or that the Azov movement is... Um, or let me just finish this before I jump over, because Newsweek has another article. The FBI knew that he was a spy and asked him that, that the, the, the same thing. Loomer wrote that Chansley being questioned about the spy means that the U.S. Capitol was penetrated by Ukrainian spies. Okay, so this is my point. If you are not factor framing this as the CIA using these people, knowingly creating them in order to frame dissonance, not Republicans alone, but anybody that is challenging the bigger narratives. And saying, as opposed to saying that these are just Ukrainian spies that the government and the FBI have just chosen to ignore because of Burisma or because of overlapping administration issues, you're miring this in a Biden bad guy, Democrat bad guy point that ignores the fact that this has been going on during Trump's administration, and going, frankly, going on as far back as you can look. Her post calls for Republicans who control the House to launch investigations into whether he was at the riot and why he wasn't arrested. I think that was it. Sorry. Again, as usual, everything was highlighted. But so the point here is that you can show in this discussion, as I've shown you many times, that they have already reported Newsweek themselves <laughs> that, this, that you can see that these people are connected, as we pointed out many times. The international Azov movement has gone international, Germany, third path, rise above movement in the United States and Italy's Casa Pond movement. So Newsweek is just ridiculous. The fact that they pretend that they can't verify these things, it's all very, very clear, as well as what we've done in this work here. But she goes on to say the same thing we were just talking about, that on January 6th, that in 2021, the one plus one TV, TV station owner, Ihor Kolomoisky, which again is directly tied to the Israeli government, directly tied to the World Jewish Congress, and the chief financier of also Zelensky's presidential campaign was there filming, which you already know because you watched this show. Several Ukrainian news outlets were framing this 
as a Russian operators going into the capital, right? And that's my point. All this, you, could, you found all of this, including all of these information, the links, t- direct documentation, this all in the show we were talking about, to the Azov movement, as well as the fact that this somehow breaking news she's putting out that's back here in 2021, where this is the same channel, the same discussion, and that you can show them saying, come on, do it, don't be scared, keep going, do it faster in Russian. And this is Sergei saying this. And you can prove this with other documentation, other images we have right here where you can show him coming in. It's all very clear. I'm trying to go through this reasonably quickly because I've already gone through this 45 times. And so it's sort of frustrating that to go back through it in general. But I think it's important, not because of credit, but because of how you can mire the story in something that loses the main point of it. The active measure was designed to create another false Russian collusion narrative. No, it, it really wasn't. This was not this was about trying to frame Russian influencing Nazis into the country like they're doing with Ukraine. At least that's my opinion. Right. And so this would be your opinion. Well, it would be good if we could frame it that way. But as soon as the Ukrainian media released this content, content Intel operators like uh, Michael McKay helped amplify the false Russian identification, as we pointed out as well, a lot of people were doing that. And I've gone entire segments showing you the whole Russia capital 9-11 or January 6th or even further than that, Russia seeding Nazis into the U.S. and into Ukraine, because that's the real bigger picture of all of this. But this is an act of war by Ukraine. See my point? It's not. It's, if, you, if, you, if you can understand that this person was an asset who is being funded by the CIA as well as the intelligence apparatus of Israel, then you can realize this has nothing to do with Ukraine. This is Ukraine being used to amplify their agenda. Now, give this guy some support because this is a lot of this information is just being kind of grabbed right there. But here was this video so you can see for yourself. It's, in, it's obviously in another language, but that you can verify that this is being yelled in, Ukraine, in, in Russian and saying... Come on, let's go. Do it. Go faster. Now, I mean, I'll let you guys watch it. Download it. This is already But the overall point is that that is, a, that is a station putting it out, claiming that that's Russians invading, but you can prove that's not true. So there was an obvious operation. Now, one person that I saw doing some excellent work on this, this bad kitty unleashed, goes back a long way. Again, another example of somebody breaking this stuff down before this breaking news story case came out. And it's, you know, good information showing the clip of them on the ground. And you can go back. This, this one thread goes back to January 5th, but there's a lot of them on the account or even further, I think. And it goes over a lot of important information. I'm probably going to come back to this and do another focus on this, but going over all the stuff we're talking about. You know, the, the ties to Charlottesville, the image of, of uh, Sergey on the ground before they go in. Here's the one I was, and here's one that's important. This is on May 28th, 2022. F, the FBI 26-page affidavit asserted that Azov is believed to have participated in the training people involved in Charlottesville. And the same Azov trained people attacking, uh, people attacked protests with the Trump rallies. And one is also a Patriot Front media person. Well, we've already heard all this. We've already shown you all of this. Here's the document itself. Look familiar? Meeting with Elena, uh, the Rise Above member, every time, the Rise Above movement members during their trip to Germany, Ukraine, Italy, meeting with Eleni Semenkia, right? That's this right here. It's the same thing I've been showing you. What's this? Since at least this is the tweet I put out in November 2022. 
the FBI documentation discussing how this is, in fact, exactly what you think it is. You know, it's just all this stuff has been out there. It's not breaking news. And importantly, that it's not a partisan mired situation that's going to draw this away from the bigger picture. Charlottesville was an effort to frame in, in this immediacy the Republicans on the ground that has now been broadened out to use against everybody. And again, it's not Democrats doing that. It is a larger agenda that goes to it's a government agenda. If you think it's Biden doing this to stop Trump from winning, you're going to be lost. But all of it's there. Uh, I swear I already followed that account. Follow him because he's doing good work. And this was the one we pointed out, verifiable facts, the fact that Azov and you know, all the stuff we've already shown you, that the FBI knew that they are neo-Nazi, that Charlottesville was their U.S. faction. That's the important part not to miss, that the Rise Above movement is the international arm of the Azov movement. And, you, and then that's the point we were just generally talking about before on this show, is Christopher Polhas here is personally tied to Robert Rundo, who is the, one of the founding members of the Rise Above movement, who is the international arm of the Azov movement. So as we all get distracted by this person, which I shouldn't distract it because that's a good, an important part of it. How, let's realize that, that the main character standing here is directly linked to the Azov movement, which is being funded by the CIA. So if we miss that for the partisan level, you're missing pretty much everything. Now, here's another one from March 2022, just showing you that there's a lot of people out there covering this entirely brand new breaking story today. FBI documents reveal U.S. may have funded Charlottesville rioters through Ukrainian neo-Nazi groups. Documents show ties between Azov, U.S. rioters. I mean, it's on and they go further. So here she says, now that I have exposed Ukrainian Nazis working with the CIA, right? Because she's the only one exposing that. Let me show you how this isn't the only one time. And it gets into all the other stuff we've talked about. Personally spoke with them about the FBI knowing. And it gets into the idea of Charlottesville in general. It was highlighted, but it's, I'm just going to probably skip it now. Yeah, right there. I remind you that this is alt-Nazis being present, present at the Charlottesville March, which Joe Biden infamously used to launch his campaign. Believe it or not, I, I believe that I have uncovered something massive and I just happen to be in the right place at the right time. Right, because it just, just started, right? I just don't know why people that follow that wouldn't care about that. You know, it's, it's interesting to me. The truth matters to me. But Azov Battalion ties to Charlottesville, March 2022. You can read that one. It's a good, good, a good breakdown. All these things are loading slow. But while that's happening, I'm going to close some stuff. A lot to get to. Didn't even, get, didn't even open it all up. <laughs> so and then of course look this is one of the most important ones the operation project aerodynamic document is right here you can look at it for yourself this is the part that's i don't see that document pointed out or listed anywhere in your coverage and maybe i'm wrong i'm not diving through everything because i feel like this is just a re repetition of everything we've talked about documents prove the cia has been cultivating fascism in ukraine since at least 1948 and this one was the evolution of where this is actually going in my mind this was January 2023. We were already pointing this out. Russia blamed, as Whitney was predicting, for the Spain white supremacy attack. Right? So this is already beginning where they're blaming Russia for these attacks. And just like we're pointing out right there, if they try to tie this back, it ends up being Russia seeded this entire thing. And that's the illusion of the story. Now, check out this person's work as well. 2021 flashback. Now, this just says, and again, quoting, and one of the points I was making before, 
you know, it's very, very clear if you read through, you know, since the day, a couple days ago that you put this out, I'm taking like every four hours, there's another post repackaging the same information. I broke this in my story and I'm exclusively showing you what I found. And I very clear. There's a lot of credit going in that direction. In a startling revelation, investigative journalist Laura Loomer claims to have exclusively confirmed that you know, it's what we're talking about. And that's just a quote from this article. It's just like, okay, I, me, 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 me. So watch this. If you want to understand where we were at last on 2023, September 3rd episode, it's important. Why don't you look at all the stuff you're putting out as well, and you decide for yourself. That's important. Exclusive Laura Loomer investigation. I've conducted an investigation, and I believe that for the sake of national security, public interest, and now my own personal safety, I need to immediately release and publish what I have uncovered about the United States government involved in recruiting violent American Nazis, white supremacists. Well, you know, it's all out there, so I'm pretty sure you're safe. Right. I mean, if, if people are going to be in danger, it would have been somebody like Whitney Webb or people that have been talking about this a lot longer than that. But you go through and you tell me what is in there that is somehow something that somebody doesn't already know. You tell me. Now, one of the things that that was interesting is talking about the bone face conversation or the idea that this is all, you know, that he was there and he was sent there by the CIA and sent there by the FBI like this is some kind of new information. Well, we've talked about it. You know why? Because RT reported it a year ago. I'll show it to you. But here's what's interesting, by the way, before I play this. <clears throat> you know what? I was just making fun of this guy, Handsome Truth. That's him right there. I didn't even notice that. That's, that's the guy. Literally, he's the one that was part of the Going Defense League that was acting like it was, you know, we're not racist. We're just trying to expose these bad guys. And he's stand, now he's standing out here next to an open Nazi symbol with these Nazi people. <laughs> yeah. And as this person at least claims who put this video out, Failed rapper, ADL asset. So argument being that this is the kind of thing that the ADL would do to justify the kind of thing that they're trying to create. That's not what I'm saying. That's what, that's what this person is suggesting. Think about it for yourself. But either way, he's literally standing here next to Azov movement members, and all these people that are open, open extremists. So big surprise. But here's the video for yourself. And I think this is important. Neo-Nazis in Ukraine is nothing to be concerned about, according to mainstream outlets in the U.S., who have been quick to try to label the problem as nothing more than Russian propaganda, despite reporting on it themselves just a few years ago. But what would they say if one of those nationalists was an American citizen and if he claimed that he was sent to Ukraine by the CIA? Well, that's the case with Kent McClellan, who prefers to go by his nickname Boneface. Breaking news from a year ago. You know, there's a lot of hype about the FBI sending me over there, but that's not the FBI that does that. It was Central Intelligence that got me involved in that. Now, that is a serious claim. And while and, and you can argue he's lying, right? That's what an, an, an objective person would do. He could be lying, right? But my point is simply that this has been around and people have talked about it. I think that's very important. So the, really, the real question should become, why would somebody go out of their way, even especially since like 100 people in every one of those comments are saying, other people have done this first. So you know she's aware of it. As by the, my point, as I said to her personally, was I know you know that we've been covering this because I do know that. I can prove that, but it's not important. The point is simply that why would they go out of their way to not include it? I'll tell you in my opinion, because the, the nonpartisan version is what's trying to be covered up here. That's what I think. The effort to, to swing this into a very partisan situation, make sure people don't go to platforms like ours that will show you all the source material, that will give you the Israeli involvement, that will show you the larger operation at play. And I think that's probably what's happening here, whether people involved are aware of that or not.
While the CIA has yet to publicly respond, McClellan attempted to take back his statement, insisting he had been misunderstood just one day after the interview. So was it a coincidence or did he just get a phone call from the right people? Well, a closer look at his neo-Nazi career sheds more light on those carelessly spoken words about the CIA. McClellan is a 32-year-old man from Florida whose interest in Nazi ideology reportedly began when he was a teenager. Hey, look at that picture she broke that no one else found. Teenager. His criminal record. That's what she said, by the way, in her post, that that was her discovery. But the point here was that this is one of the many examples that shows that he was there. Now, you again, it could all be faked, but you have, you have Azov... Uh, insignias and and images and videos where there were hurting people that were like very clearly people that were in Donbass. Like that was the argument, right? So anyway, you can watch the rest of this for yourself. I think the important part is that you realize that this is a much bigger story than what is being framed right now. And I want to make sure you see this. If you haven't seen this, this should be one of the only things like I, my work is, you know, it's for certain people, longer video, long form, conversational, you know, thought process. Like I get it. Some people want the shorter thing, concise data, and that's just, I, I do it differently, right? So if you want my longer form shows, sometimes they can be an hour, but sometimes they can be longer. And we do things like we're doing right now. And I know people don't like that. But if you want to just read this great article that breaks it down, Whitney Webb wrote this in March, 2022, Ukraine and the new Al-Qaeda, which aside from the explicit Sergei Dominion pointing or that, you know, those kind of points, what she overlaps is the entire story that's being broke right now. I mean, everything. Going back to exactly where this began, what they're going to do, as t- typically, as, as I said, for those just discovering the very important Azov CIA agenda that overlaps with Ukraine, January 6th, and the war on domestic terrorism, Whitney's article on T-Lab on this topic on March 2022 is an absolute must-read. She absolutely breaks this down in a very, very important way. So on that note, let's get into some COVID-19 information where I took twice as long as I wanted to. So this, this is where it all begins again, right? It all starts back over again. Not really. I mean, the thing about this is that we all saw this coming, right? Alex was right again about the thing that we all saw coming and we all knew was actually already starting when that statement came out, which is that the mass mandates were already creeping back, that they were already beginning to shut things down. It was our, I remember Grace told us that the school had already shut down before that ever, you know, insider information came out. So it was already very clearly in the writing. And we were also already predicting that, you know, we can start our own hashtag. The point is that this was clearly coming and it's not based on Anything, I mean, like, well, it depends on how you see what the, you think the variance or that conversation is. Quite frankly, I don't even, I think it's all big hype, if it's even real. But overall, the injection that they immediately push because of whatever they're pointing at is the, one of the things I'm focusing on the most right now is because it's so staggeringly clear that even their own people are going, this doesn't work. And yet they're just keeping, go, keeping moving forward. Here is Tedros saying the increase in hospitalizations and death that show COVID is here to stay and that we need tools to fight it. So what he's telling you is it's never going away. Remember when that was called a conspiracy theory, when we said this would never go away? The increase in hospitalizations and this shows that COVID is here to stay and that we will continue to need tools to fight it. And? Here's KJP, Kareen, saying that that's all coming back, that Biden will resume asking and social distancing again per CC guidelines, which is all that, you know, that's why they always go, well, we didn't make anything. We just, we suggest, and they all suggest, everyone suggests right down to your prison cell, right? It's not, it's all a big game of semantics, but the point is they're going, yeah, it's going to come back, which again, we all knew. 
Biden tested negative last night for COVID-19 and tested negative again today. He's not experiencing any symptoms. As far as the steps he is taking, since the president was with the first lady yesterday, he will be masking while indoors and around people in alignment with CDC guidance. And he, as, as has been the practice in the past, the president will remove his mask when sufficiently distanced from others indoors and while outside as well. How funny that she needs to say that because all that's really going to that that's her way of giving an excuse for the many times or always when he's seen without it. <laughs> oh, that was one of those times we explained. No, no, it wasn't. He was hugging a person or whatever. But to the point is that now, OK, per CDC. So read between the line. This is the CDC guidelines say we need these things. Biden's already doing it again because, oh, my God, he tested negative. And it's, it's all rolling back in front of you. But here's the here's the most ridiculous part. Oh, wait a minute. I think I mixed this up. No, there it is. So apparently, I, 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 sometimes I'm not sure whether this is just a, a clip cut a certain way to make Biden look bad or, you know, but it does appear that he walked off of some, you know, it's not surprising that Biden's confused and doesn't know what's going on. He's senile. But there was a person up there getting an award and he put the medal on and just walked off. It was kind of weird. And they all had a prayer. So it's pretty clear that he was probably supposed to stay, but. That's not the part of the story that I'm interested in. What I think is interesting is what Joni points out. What kind of malarkey is this? Kareem just said that he would be masked indoors or six feet apart. There goes a super spreader Joe without his mask, right? I mean, look at this. He literally just reports this. This He goes out then, and, and on top of that, as she points out, well, Jill has COVID apparently. Or, you know, they're all lying about it, the hype up the fear. But either way, the narrative is, and for those that are, this is an easy example of arguing from within their narrative for those that are confused by that. The narrative is that she's sick, therefore he should be distancing. So whether or not you think any of it's real, it highlights that they're dishonest for people that might not see the bigger picture, right? That's how that works. So right here, assuming, or even just based on what they're saying, Jill is sick and he tested positive, but he should be masking and distancing. Look at him. He gets close to this super old guy. So either that shows you that this Biden doesn't care or he's too senile to remember, or it doesn't matter for them and it only matters for you. The point is that this is exactly what happened throughout all of it before. And on top of all of that, it makes no difference anyway. It is not statistically significant reducing transmission. And it probably given bacterial pneumonia and probably spread that to people and be called COVID anyway. So here is what we're getting into again. And we all said this would be the case. And again, it wasn't that hard to see. But, you know, we could have been, I predict this. Hashtag Ryan got it right. The point is that we all knew they would say, eventually, nobody forced you to do it. It was all your choice. And everybody saw that coming. And here we are. Even though we know quite, and this is a great video by Milk Bar TV yet again, highlighting exactly what they said they didn't say, which is that you are going to be forced to do this. And then they say, well, you didn't force anybody. The fact that this goes forward with this kind of an example shows you how well the partisan game is working. And I'm convinced that's what it really is. People lost in their partisan games in the partisan kindergarten, they end up missing or choosing to ignore parts of the story. And then it never goes anywhere, even when we can prove everything. Welcome to Ukraine, East Palestine, Lahaina, I mean, everything. It's because of that. But here's where they said they didn't do what we all know they did are allowed to make their own choices. There may be all sorts of different reasons why someone is hesitant to get vaccinated. And therefore, while not forcing anyone to get vaccinated... Enforcement measures in place will make sure 
that everyone is vaccinated. People. I mean, even using the same word, <laughs> enforcement means force. I mean, that's the stupidest thing in the world. To have their jobs, to keep their jobs, were forced to have the vaccination. Now, do you retract your statement that they were not forced? Uh, Senator, no, I, I believe firmly that nobody was forced to have a vaccine. There's people that don't want this mandatory vaccine. How do we manage well, this? Well, then they won't be going to work. Okay. It's very, very simple. I believe everybody was offered an opportunity to get a vaccine or not get a vaccine. I don't believe that anybody was forced to take a vaccine. Now, that's a really, that's an especially dishonest stance. And they know these people were put up there to lie. They, we saw it. it, it, it Technicolor, but the point was that given an opportunity, well, no, you don't. That's the if you say you have to take this, you're going to get fired. That's not an opportunity. That's a threat. I mean, that's not you can't even bend that into making sense. That's a blatant lie. But that's what they do. Pfizer and Moderna and these companies have been caught lying many times, especially Pfizer. And that's going to be especially important. We realize based on another peer-reviewed study that the Pfizer jab seems to be exponentially more dangerous. By the way. We have said no, you must get vaccinated. Um, in terms of the vaccine mandates, I acknowledge that it was a challenging time for people, but they made, ultimately made their own choices. A vaccine mandate is being expanded to around 40% of all workers. You basically set the two different classes of people. If you're vaccinated or if you're unvaccinated, you have all these rights. If you are vaccinated... That is what it is. So, yep, possibly. That's a crazy one, right? Openly admitting that you're, she sees you as a lesser class of person because you didn't get the jab. Oops. Yeah, that's one of those people like a Gavin Newsom that kind of just they think that they have the ability and you, you, you say too much. And that's probably why she got kicked to the curb. Vitality, hairdressers and gyms can operate at all levels if they ask customers for a vaccine certificate. There was no there was no compulsory vaccination. People made their own choices. And so it follows that if customers must be vaccinated, then so too must the workers. It's just so sad. Here he is. This one is, this is, uh, this was, uh, thank you, Link, for sharing this. Roos Sean Fernando. And here's that same guy just literally saying the opposite right here. I think early next year we'll be in the phase of chasing up people who haven't come forward to get their vaccination or have missed their bookings and so on. Right, so we're going to chase you down. We're not going to force you, but we're really going to chase you down. Is that a choice when you're chased down? <laughs> These people are such criminals. Oh, I just, damn it. Sorry, I got, I'm just not going to do that anymore. I just realized that I lost all this in here. Some of these were pretty extensive, I think. No, no, maybe not. Oh, these are short ones. Thank God. Okay, so here is one of the really important points that I think people aren't pointing, highlighting. Thank you, Inversionism, for, for calling this out. I know I shared this. There's some funky stuff on Twitter. Why is no one talking about this? He writes, life expectancy has violently tanked in America without recovery, while the average of 11 other countries have recovered by the end of 2021. Could the U.S. be nearing a life expectancy of 70 or lower by the end of 2023? What could possibly be causing these continuous drops? What a mystery. I mean, look at this, guys. The United States is, by and large, the most vaccinated country in the world. Look at that. I mean that in the COVID jabs, but I bet you that's the same as anywhere else or same as any other. I think the same probably in any of them. That is incredible. Now, this was The Economist, by the way. I've, I believe we've even shown this before. This isn't that old, but that's crazy. And this idea that we are just we're baffled by that. I mean, that's this is going to this is. 
one of the things I think is truly waking up the average person. Because there's only so much you can take when they're just like, we're completely confused. <laughs> well, I, even those people that are trying to hide from the truth, even they have an inkling about this. Well, maybe it's a thing we're all denying. Like, maybe that's possible. Well, here is more evidence showing you continually that this is a problem. This is from March 2023. Adverse events following COVID-19 vaccines. A systematic review of cardiovascular complication, thrombosis, and thrombocytopenia. Now, this one... I think it was just the results section in general, but the point was they assist a, assist, a systematic review. I always, can, I always wonder if it's systemic. Systematic review of original studies reporting confirmation, reporting confirmed cardiovascular manifestations. All right, so they're still reporting it, but what they claim are confirmed. Now it says a total of 81 articles, studies, 81 you know, articles, studies they're referencing, analyzed confirmed cardiovascular complications post-COVID-19 mRNA vaccines in 17,636 individuals. Now, just that in general, as much as, you know, yes, they're going to say there's millions of people around the world that have the, you know, and this, uh, assuming that this somehow encapsulates all of them would be pretty ridiculous, especially since we have a VAERS database that shows an astronomical amount more than that that they just don't want to talk about. The point, though, is that even if they just said in the beginning, Take this vaccine, but there will be 18,000 of you that will have a lifelong cardiovascular problem. That would have dramatically influenced people's choices. You know that. Even though it's a small amount. Just wanted to point that out. Because safe and effective does not mean 18,000 people have heart attacks or thrombosis, right? But it says, and reported 284 deaths on top of that. With any mRNA vaccine. Now, this is the interesting part is of those 17,636 cardiovascular events with any mRNA vaccine, 17,192 of all of those were observed in just the Pfizer shot. Think about how crazy that is. Only 444 of them were Moderna. Now, that does not mean Moderna is not equally dangerous, let's say, in other ways. And I will argue specifically that I think that the lipid nanoparticle mRNA platform makeup is in in its own right one of the biggest problems. But the fact that just right here you can see, I mean, I didn't do the math on that, but what is that? Let me think that that is, oh, I think it actually has it down here. 80, you know, we'll we'll get to it in a second. But the point is you have 17,192 out of 17,636 cardiovascular events that were all on Pfizer's side. Thrombosis, it says, was frequently reported with any mRNA vaccine. Let that sink in, by the way. Thrombosis was frequently reported with any mRNA vaccine, followed by stroke myocarditis, myocardial infarction, pulmonary embolism, and arrhythmia. Sounds perfectly safe and effective. Stratifying the results by vaccine type showed that thrombosis, 80.8% of all the cardiovascular events, was common in the Pfizer cohort. That's a, that statement is concerning as hell. While stroke was common with mRNA-1273 for any dose. So Moderna was more common with stroke. The time between vaccination dose and the first symptom onset, this is important as well, 5.6 to 4.8 days. You know what that means? All of these get dumped into unvaccinated. Still. 14 to 21 days. They deem that unvaccinated. They still make the argument that, well, it's not effective until then. Oh, so your argument is that when the vaccine becomes effective, it'll stop myocarditis? No, that's not their argument because that doesn't make sense. Their argument is pretending that by when it becomes effective that you can't be hurt by COVID-19 but these aren't happening because of COVID-19. The very clear peer-reviewed science is finding these are because of the injection. So that is a blatant 
knowing lie. They know they're lying about that. They're playing games. So 5.6 days becomes unvaccinated. The bottom line is this is obviously dangerous. 17,000 events. The point is that predominantly on the side of Pfizer. And of course, when you overlap this with all of the databases, it's clear this is a hell of a lot bigger than that. But all this is being hidden. And then 2023, last month, spikeopathy. This is really important. COVID-19 spike protein is pathogenic, which we already know, but the same thing we've been telling you from the very beginning. Hey, hashtag Ryan was right. From both virus and vaccine mRNA. And no, it wasn't Ryan was right. I was reporting what other experts were saying. Plenty of others. There's a Salk Institute, Dr. Peter McCullough, because it is the same. Now, they pointed out that there were some proline substitutions, but very minor differences that do not affect the ultimate outcome of how it hurts your body. Or the fact that in so diff, so slightly different that your body then, we've already shown that that what ends up happening in some cases is that your body attacks itself. Because your body's being trained to make these things as opposed to it just being put in your body. It's actually creating a genetic gene therapy, training your body to make the protein. So then if, if things go awry, which it seems to happen, your body then gets attacked itself. That is an autoimmune issue. It's very clear. And Pfizer in Australia admitted that this is the case. And so what they're proving is that that is the fact. And so now we have to add this to the bigger picture. Again, we already knew this, but this is one more study vindicating it, that this is something that is spreading. It is shedding. And if we do know for sure that it is cytotoxic, which we already should, I'll include this since I brought it up. And this, by the way, is just the Salk Institute's article about the study the study's linked in here it's right there showing you very clearly that the spike protein alone was enough to cause disease right now what they did in the beginning is they go well it's not the same spike protein yes but it is though and we can see that we can prove it and now there's another another peer-reviewed study that's saying the same and it says this is the first paper that explores peer-reviewed data counter to the oh that this is important right here here let me highlight it this is the first paper that explores peer-reviewed data counter to the safe and effective narrative attached to these technologies. See, people are getting the courage now to point this out. That there is and always has been peer-reviewed science that is directly challenging the safe and effective lie. And so all they're doing is kind of gathering it up and going, look at all this evidence that's been there that no one's talking about. Spike protein pathogenicity, termed spikeopathy, whether from the SARS-CoV-2 virus or produced by vaccine gene codes, or for those that argue that those things, viruses aren't real or that SARS-CoV-2 is not there, it could very well be a virus-sized transistor. It could be pathogenic bacteria. And I'm only, I mean, I genuinely mean that in the sense that this could be something else that was deployed. We don't need to just shoehorn it into that topic. And I, you know, right at this point, I've, as I've said many times, I'm on the fence of the idea that I think both of these theories are missing something. But overall, that I do believe that germ theory is incomplete. And I think there's a lot of experts that are making good cases for that. In this case, though, we should realize that whatever we're talking about, you can see that they've been working on something. And, you know, look, I, there's arguments to be made for why that might be a fallacy. But I'm just being objective about it. That I do, I do believe that there are things that clearly are hurting people. And I think that these things have been used. Now, it could very well be nanotechnology. Again, based on Charles Lieber's work that was the impetus for all of this. Which is funny because, as I've showed you before, Dave, even though it still says virus size transistor right there in the URL, <laughs> as of like a week ago, they literally removed that from the title. Again, they know we see what's happening, guys. That's what I genuinely think. But it says akin to a synthetic virus. Ah, see my point? 
Isn't that exactly what we're talking about? So what they're saying is that these vaccine-produced gene, uh, spike proteins that are shedding are akin to a synthetic virus. It, what is that if not a the Omicron self-spreading vaccine or, or again, a virus-sized transistor kind of deployment? All of this is very, very backed up by the peer-reviewed science or the possibility, I should say. And it says, is increasingly understood in terms of molecular biology and pathophysiology. Pharmacokinetic transfection through body tissues distant from the injection site by lipid nanoparticles or viral vector carriers means that spikeopathy can affect many organs via injection. This is from NIH National Library of Medicine. Oh, I'm completely baffled by why none of the corporate media picked up on this. I'm confused, right? We all know why. Because they're towing lines. CNN, Fox News, all of them. Where's half, where's, where's, I mean, it doesn't matter. The point is that this is clear. The injection is causing this. The inflammation properties of the nanotechnology, which we've talked about from 2020, used to ferry the mRNA. Again, M1 methyl pseudouridine employed to prolong synthetic mRNA function. Now, I, I didn't, there's a, a Twitter thread right now. I think it's off of Tom, one of Tom Rentz's posts where somebody's just like railing about mRNA and versus mod RNA and how it doesn't work. Not that, uh, weatherman but i know one of you in the chat probably knows the conversation i'm talking about here is what you should put in front of him it's right there in front of you and as well as everything else that we know that n1 methyl pseudouridine employed which is the mod rna that's what it is is used to prolong the function so it doesn't just rapidly go away that's why it continues to be around in your body and then we i should we should begin to realize this is at the very least self-amplifying mr uh, mod rna so the spike protein is being continually synthesized as plenty of peer review studies have found this is the widespread biodistribution of the mRNA and DNA codes, again, DNA, that translated spike proteins and autoimmunity via human production of foreign proteins contribute to harmful effects. This is a huge study. And it's complete, it's shattering the narrative on top of a lot of other important studies that have found the same. This paper reviews autoimmune, cardiovascular, neurological, potential, oncological effects, and autopsy evidence for spikeopathy. It's a lot of evidence. Now, I would not be as ridiculous as the corporate media and say that this one study is everything and it's all done. It's just one study. So you look at it, consider it on top of all the other studies we've shown you that find similar things. And of course, consider along the observational one they point out too and come to your own conclusions about what this stuff really shows. It's very clear this is dangerous. And it's, as I said, destroying the population. Now, Recep Levy points out some important stuff. Here, I'll do this real quick so we don't, Forget to include those for you guys. I'm trying to remember to do that during the show so I don't miss the stuff I bring up. Retsef Levy points out, <clears throat> despite all of this and everything else we know, <clears throat> on top, actually, before I even point at what he's saying, in, in addition to, for those that haven't seen it, the fact that the British Medical Journal found that these are a net harm. Booster, booster mandates in young adults are expected to cause a net harm. It was to stop one hospitalization. Up, upwards of 42,000 young adults need to get three individual shots to stop one hospitalization. And they argue that will cause 18 plus ad- serious adverse events. That's death, hospitalization, or serious disability. That's a net harm. There's no misunderstanding that. So this is why it's very alarming when the CDC continues to recommend that kids f- six months to 48 years, 48 months old get injections. Despite the fact that we also already know that it's not dangerous for anybody, (laughs) or rather less than the flu, for everybody. But here it is. 
More harm in Vax versus placebo and Pfizer trial. Six versus two severe COVID and 23 versus 11 other severe viral infections. That's their studies. Actually, since all this stuff comes up every time, I know I bring it up every time, but I think it's important. Just for those that may not have seen it. Thank you, James. <laughs> their own studies, that's what they're referencing. Like, Retsep Levy is pointing out the fact that their own research shows this in their original trials. He says, not to mention risk of cardiovascular injury, which Pfizer holds back in its trials. I mean, this is blatantly obvious corruption, and people just don't want to see it. This is the one showing you that they're, it says, uh, in, in particular, Pfizer's own trial exhibited a 36% increased risk of serious adverse events in the vaccine group versus not taking it versus the control. That's phase three. That's the reevaluation of their phase three data. Secondary analysis. And yet, it keeps going. So my point is, here's Stephen Kirch adding another point. That in both of these, we've already told you. Check out these two posts if you want to know what the scientists won't tell you. In half of the people, we just talked about this, they, they all have circulating spike protein. And kids, it significantly damages their immune system more than anybody else. How else do you see this? Is it aimed at children? You can ask that. It seems very clear this is a problem, especially, again, since what we're saying is it's not dangerous for these people. Overall, pre-vaccination, before this all started, this peer-reviewed study found that it was 0.03-59.069. All of that dramatically less than the flu, and 94% of the population is in that category. And that these, then that the, the injection is especially dangerous. Now, an interesting point in all of this, remember when we talked about the Oxford calculator? I was going to show you that too and say, look, see, it shows you that children or young adults are one in a million. I said, oh my gosh, look at this. They changed it. They changed the update for 18-year, so I did two. I did one for an 18-year-old that didn't have an injection or had never gotten sick, rather. And they literally want you to think that this is one in 13,000 now. And then I did it with who had gotten sick and it went up to one in 24,000. So even they, with their data, know that you have natural immunity that's less risky. But here's the point. That is staggeringly lower or higher, however you want to look at it, than what we used to say. Now, I couldn't find the show that I did this in. I took a shot in the dark and I searched T-Lab COVID calculator. And thank you so much to one John for having a video of it. <laughs> that's outstanding. So here's what the video shows. Okay, now it only starts at 19 and goes up, which I'm not really sure why. That's going down to 18. Again, I'm not really sure why. Especially since we're giving even the last time, since that's kind of the marker, right? 50 years old is where they kind of say 50 and it's just, but not like if you're set, like generally in, oh man. I take it back. If I did 50 on the number, it's not going to be the right okay. amount. Some of the things they have regard, but according to Oxford Let's see. Make sure you really understand what this is showing you. 50 years old, zero. How in the I had to have done it. Something without, Dang it. Ah, well, I just got you excited for nothing then. Son of a gun. Well, damn it. <laughs> for those of you that know my past shows, you, are, you know how many times I've shown this on the show. So that doesn't actually do it. Thank you, John, anyway, for having that. We went over this a hundred times. If you know the show, please let me know. I'll include it in the show notes. The point was it was one in a million. It literally said it was one in a million risk if you got sick. It said the risk of dying after getting sick. 
And for some reason now, it's arguing that 18-year-olds are at 1 in 24,000 if they have already gotten sick and 1 in 13,000 if they haven't. It is a hell of a lot. They're at basically zero risk. And again, the peer-reviewed science makes that abundantly clear. Look at the data here. Infection fatality rate at, eight, at 19 years, 0.0003%. That's not 1 in 13,000. It's crazy how they're just altering and updating this stuff based on the lies. Maybe they realized that we were pointing at the Oxford calculator all this time that was telling you that it wasn't that dangerous. Just it's everything's being altered and updated and changed. And the kids are at risk because of the injection, not anything else. And then on top of that, you guys have probably seen this and I think it's worth pointing out. Here's the AP telling you what they didn't do. The CDC didn't say vaccinated people are more at risk of a new COVID variant than the unvaccinated. Well, yeah, they really did. In fact, they just said it by, by what's the right word, how to frame that. They didn't say unvaccinated in any way. They didn't even mention unvaccinated, but I'll show you what they actually said. But these fact checks are so ridiculous. Here's what it says on the actual risk assessment. This is the newest one. You've probably seen this. Everyone's been pointing it out. And they're specifically talking about B286. And it says BA286 may be more capable of causing infection in people who have one, previously had COVID-19 or who have received COVID vaccines. Huh? Well, you see, their argument is that the people who haven't got it are more in danger than ever, but that's just not true. So what you're actually admitting here is that if you've gotten these injections, you're at more risk of getting COVID, which has always been the case. And we have proven that over and over and over. And I'll show you the peer-reviewed study, one of the many that makes that clear. But to, to argue against the, the, they can only by omission argue that's not true. But the reality is very clear that the unvaccinated are not getting it. And on top of that, before we even go to that point, I'll also show you that people that got sick before also weren't. And they know that too. That's why they just keep trying to conflate it. That if you've gotten sick before, no, that, that's not happening. From what I can tell, and I've, every time this happens, I reach out to people that I, are, you know, I would argue know a lot more about this than I do. Based on the understanding of how this is working so far, as this is just another one of the many studies, but this is one of the ones I like to point out, ultra-potent antibodies against diverse and highly transmissible variants. As it says in many different, there's more than one, but this one simply says, our study demonstrates that convalescent subjects previously infected with the ancestral strain from the very beginning produce antibodies that cross-neutralize emerging variants of concern with high potency. This is at the beginning of Omicron. The point is that that's still the case, and we can prove that with the data going around, as well as the fact that it's being shown. So they're just conflating that idea, saying, no, it's, it's both of those, but you don't mention unvaccinated. But here's why we know that's not true. Many studies have come out and shown this. Here's just one of them from 2023 in June that simply shows you. First of all, it says that, the, ridiculously enough, uh, the where was it? Right here. Or 28%. Where is it? Well, the main point is, again, the risk of COVID-19 also increased with time since the most recent prior COVID-19 episode and with the number of doses previously received. That's very clear. The more doses you have, the your risk increases. It says it right there. This is in Oxford. <clears throat> I don't know why I can't see that. I know it's, maybe I'm misremembering the number. I thought it said 28%, but it says... The estimated, oh, it's 29. I, that's weird. I could have swore it's a 28. The estimated vaccine effectiveness was 29%. This was not after some different thing. This was the bivalent deployed. Didn't work. Oh, we'll just try something new. <laughs> totally not an experiment, though. 
And the more you take, the more you're getting sick. But don't listen to the fake news because trust the science. (laughs) It's staggering. So we know that they're not at risk, never were, and it's only gotten less dangerous, more transmissible, as it usually does. And we know that it's more dangerous to take the injection. So here they are trying to argue that people getting the injections are getting more severe and acting like we don't obviously know what's going on. It's frustrating. Now here is a World Health Organization briefing. And there's a couple of interesting points in here that I wanted to share. Like as we get back into this, right? So we're getting into the time of the reinitiation of the hype about variants and the PCR testing. And so what we've always pointed out, guys, is that what really makes this happen is the, is the effort to test, especially since we already very clearly have proven that the PCR test is being un, inappropriately used in this regard. And they know that. And we've proven that with the, the epidemic that wasn't. You can, watch, they can talk, you can watch that right here, PCR illusion and the epidemic that wasn't. I think that's an important clip that goes over the New York Times article about how the PCR, PCR test caused a months-long, thousands of people affected, whooping cough epidemic that turned out to not even be real, not a single case actually confirmed. All of it was PCR false positives. And it's amazing, that story again. Hey, hey, Loomer, cover this story. Maybe everyone will talk about it. The point is, this is an important story that needs to get reached because it shows you how the PCR test has already been used to deceive people, but it could have been an accident back then. I don't think it is now. The point, though, is that they're already talking about deploying more PCR testing, but also sequencing. And we've talked about this before about how I think we've clearly proven that these tests aren't even set up to be able to just randomly detect new variants, especially since they don't, If the, at best, they would be guessing which one they thought might be present because there's hundreds of these things floating around, they claim. And so all they're really doing is taking samples from certain areas and estimating. That's the best they have right now, and I've proven that to you. But here, And here's what they're going to do again. And it's all hype, but it doesn't really matter because people will buy it. Uh, is there any threshold, considering the threat that we face now, any minimum threshold that the nations must do in terms of genome sequencing so that uh, they don't miss out on what is circulating in their respective territories? Think about that question. You mean aside from the fact that people might be getting sick? Right? You see, that's not what they're looking for. They're looking for examples of anything present, especially if you're not getting sick, because that's the, I think that's almost the best case scenario. Because you're going to say, well, it could get worse. We got to lock down just in case. The bottom line is, if you're having to stretch out and seek them out and find things that they might not be aware of, that means it's not dangerous. Now, just because things might eventually get more dangerous, the fact is they will continue to find these things. and will continue to have more hype and narrative and maybe could be tomorrow. It might be more risky because that creates the biosecurity state that they're building and already is here. Now, I'm not saying they know that. They may genuinely think they're keeping us safe. Maybe, Maybe you think they are. But the bottom line is we already saw how this gets abused by some people, possibly all of them, and it's happening again. So she's saying, uh, how do we do, how do we, is there a threshold? Like basically, and this gets, this overlaps with the idea of the WHO treaty, right? The idea of the amendments, the conversation of how if they decide you might have an issue that they then have authority, your sovereignty goes out the window, which is exactly what's happening, despite the narrative from the corporate media. that she's going, well, what's the threshold, right? What, what do we have to demand of other countries to be looking for? Uh, is there any minimum threshold that you can suggest? Thank you. Thank you, Bencher. So, Dr. Van Kierkhoff. Yeah, this is an excellent question. We get this question probably, I probably get this at least once or twice a week of how much is enough. 
um, for sequencing. I'm going to give a broader answer than that because I can't give an actual number of how much sequencing because it depends. It depends on your objective. There are some thresholds that have been put out for influenza, for example, from the Sentinel-based systems. So the, the main point is that they're talking about, and this next clip makes it even more clear, about going out of their way going to the next level. Now, even more interesting, what they both seem to in imply is that before, as we were telling you, that they're guessing that what they need now is better metadata, more specifics about who and where and how, not just numbers of different variants they might be finding, which is what was happening. So we must realize that all this time, they're, they're acting like we are pretending these people know what they're talking about. And maybe they do, but you must realize that they didn't in a lot of ways that we now realize. And they were just winging it. Neil Ferguson, mass, PCR tests, these things are either complete lies or these people don't know what they're doing half the time, which maybe both. But overall, it's like we can't learn our lesson as they're basically admitting it's probably still happening the same way now. We should not allow this kind of action to go forward. It, you know, I mean, in every sense, in all of these kind of conversations. But the problem is that there's too many people that follow along. Partisanship, as always. Or member states. Uh, so there is a real need to organize. Uh, just sequencing for the sake of it, as Maria said, it doesn't really give us what we need. What we need to be able to do is. Oh, and then I missed the biggest part there at the end where she basically said, here, I'll just do it again real quick. Actual number of how much sequencing, because it depends. It depends on your objective. There are some thresholds that have been put out for influenza, for example, from the. It depends on your objective. I find that to be an interesting statement, right? Well, shouldn't your objective be to find new variants? What other objective could there be? I think that's a very telling, interesting statement. I mean, I, maybe I'm missing something, but what could the other objective be? Because all we're talking about is genome sequencing, right? So I don't know. I just think that's a very telling statement, and I think that it suggests that there's more to the story. Uh, sequencing of a standardized set of, of samples where we have the metadata. And the metadata is the information regarding the patient's severity, uh, epidemiologic information, clinical information. If you have that information and you have the sequencing data for a, a defined proportion of the population, what you can do then is build up a picture of what's happening, a picture of the virus. A water picture? A picture of its transmission, a picture of its evolution, a picture of its impact. And if you're going to make good decisions in public health, they're the pieces of information you need. Doing more of one thing in one place is fine, but really what you are doing is shining an even greater light on an area that you can already see. What we need to do is shine the light where the darkness is. You see the point? Well, obviously, you're shining the light in a place that seems to be a problem, which means to suggest, whether you believe it or not, that people are getting sick, that there are symptoms, that there's a problem there. Why you would shine it over in this other area where there doesn't appear to be, if there was an illness happening, you would see it. Now, see this, I already hear the arguments from people. Well, Ryan, we're trying to get ahead of it this time. Okay. And maybe you might think that even makes sense. And maybe you think that's the smart thing to do. But if you can't realize by now that people in power will abuse that and tell you things are coming before you can see it, whether or not they're actually coming, then I don't think you're paying attention. We've talked about the parasite stress theory. And the idea that they don't need real things. They just need the hype, the fear that drive you into compliance. They've studied this before. Uh, and be able to see everywhere and be able to see everything uh, so that we can make and be able to see everything uh, so that we can make the light where the darkness is uh, and be able to see everywhere and be able to see everything.
That's terrifying. Uh, so that we can make good decisions locally, nationally, and on an international basis. I mean, I honestly, I don't know whether these people think they're doing good or not, but I just, my, my, everything in my body screams, who do you think you are, right? Why do these individuals think they have the right to just like, state, you know, it, it's, it just doesn't come anymore like we understand how these, these groups are supposed to be put forward, like that they are advisory groups. It's sort of like the FDA getting slapped in the hand by the, by the court. You are not a doctor. You're not supposed to be advising other than saying safe or not. It's the same thing here, that these groups are not supposed to be directing action by these governments. They're supposed to be advising based on what they, you know, the World Health Organization. Or the point is that these are becoming enforcement arms. I don't know why we don't think that's alarming for who, the people that don't anyway. So sequencing has really joined that pantheon of the tools, that toolkit that you need at local, national and global level. My brother sent those to me, so I appreciate that. Well, you can watch the full thing here. There's some interesting stuff in there. But let's get into the PCR test, the the sequencing, as well as the testing in general. But remember, this is where we get into one of the biggest scams. And it goes back a long way, even before I think, before we're we're even talking about the PCR test or before it was even invented. Uh, Yeah, uh, no, definitely then, because remembering who invented it. Talking about the Spanish flu, or rather the Kansas flu, when you actually understand where it started. That's the truth, by the way. You can look it up on Wikipedia. We still call it the Spanish flu, sort of like we still call this the Wuhan flu. That's how it works. But the reality is that that was almost 90 plus percent pneumonia. Then that's, that's the facts after the fact. They've looked at the studies and conversations. Now, people love to say it's because you know, Fauci said Matt. He didn't say that. I do believe that the mask obviously played a part in that because bacterial pneumonia is dramatically increased because of wearing a wet piece of cloth on your mouth all day. It's a very easy thing to prove. Every dentist in the world will tell you it affects your oral thrush or your, your mouth and oral thrush and, and, and all, uh, uh, candida and all sorts of things. And then when it dries out your mouth, you breathe these things into your lungs and there you go. Boom. It's very easy to prove. So I think that had an immediate, that was one of the earliest examples of like a mass deployment of masks. But Fauci reported though, not saying the word mask, that it was clear that most of it was pneumonia. So why would they call it a flu? Because, oh, secondary pneumonia. Well, that has been called out a hundred times over since then. Again, as I pointed out a thousand times, WHO called this out. The HHS called this out. They said, CDC, why are you conflating pneumonia and flu? And something clearly shifted like a decade ago, like a really aggressive shift into very pro-vaccine, very like we need to scare people to sell these for their best interest. But there were people involved that were going, this is a lie. You're hyping this to sell vaccines, even literally calling it a a pandemic of fear to sell useless vaccines. That's directly from the WHO. As I say that, I guarantee somebody's going, that's not true. (laughs) I'll include it for you to watch, read for yourself. But, you know, part of a culture of fear. And they're listing H5N1 and H1N1. We need to remember those things were false. They were hyped up and not genuinely at risk. And they, it's the WHO calling them out. Stemmed primarily from disease advocacy by influenza experts. The highly competitive market of health governance, the struggle for attention and budgets for grants is fierce. The pharmaceutical industry and the media only reacted to this welcome boon. I mean, they're calling them out. The point is we just can't seem to realize this after the fact now, or some people can't. But so the bigger point is that we, I'll just read what Jessica Rose wrote here. Here's what I think, and she's definitely right. In my opinion, COVID-19 deaths were pneumonia deaths. All the people who died from pneumonia didn't have to. Antibiotics were withheld. 
that normally would have saved their lives. This has nothing to do with what was circulating. It was about changing cause of death, lying plus fear. Now, that's definitely part of it. And you could argue all of it. Danny Rancourt has made that argument very well using statistics. And I think he's right. But I just, I just leave the open possibility for the fact that there could have been another part of this. But the overall reality, flu and pneumonia alone with then adding vaccine side effects and whatever else they added with lockdowns definitely could have been all of it. <clears throat> and this is where <clears throat> Robert Malone points out something similar. He's talking about the Eris variant. That simply points out, the graph below shows what the CDC has to say about all respiratory infection disease deaths combined. He goes, note that they bundle pneumonia, influenza, and COVID as a new disease category called PIC. Well, not really new, though. We've been talking about it since 2021, but it is definitely an important point. Pneumonia, influenza, and COVID. This is not new to right now, as much as that may be some new to some people that have seen it. This has been going on since 2020. They've been packaging this as one thing. And they don't always point at it as the total number. They, there's plenty of places they point at just COVID numbers. But all too often, the corporate media and even the CDC will point at the PIC number and say COVID-19. I made it clear all throughout this whole thing. And the point is, if you subtract influenza, coded death, COVID-19, coded death from the total, it appears we may have actually had a modest surge in pneumonia. So the point, again, I mean, it seems like pneumonia has been, has what, what rose. But, of course, that's boring. It doesn't fit the narrative, so they won't talk about it. But there's blame COVID-19, right? Here, Professor Norman Fenton points out, and so the zero COVID policy hysteria begins again, which was always irrational, by the way, no matter how dangerous you think it was. Care agency I use has canceled my wife's car- uh, carer tomorrow as they've resumed routine testing and the carer tested positive. She's fine. Same fear tactics, no risk-benefit analysis, same disastrous consequences. COVID testing to be scaled up in England. And we're right back in the swing. And this is where we get into the PCR test itself. Now, aside from the conflating of other things, which are a very huge part of the story, it's important that we realize just just how much the PCR test can control this by a quick adjustment of the cycle threshold. Now, just looking this up right now, you'll find a very interesting point, which is that as of September 6th, the current PCR cycle threshold that we're supposed to be using around the country is not even specified in the sources. You know why? I'll show you because they're being allowed to do what they want. Just like in the beginning, by the way, there was no regulation. There was no coordination. Every state, even every county had their own. They were just using these as they saw fit. It, that's ridiculous. Now, here's a study from 2021. Psycho threshold values in RT-PCR to determine dynamics of SARS-CoV-2 viral load. Now, again, let me see if I can suss out the point in this. I had it highlighted. It was ultimately that they, what, they're, what this really is saying is they're trying to say, look, it's, it's very telling. People that, have, people that are detected as sick, when that's not what it means, actually. When All it means is they found RNA. Doesn't mean they're actually sick. That's one of the biggest things that both the creator of this test, Gary Mollis, and others have said. It doesn't mean you're sick. It just means that you have this present. It could pass through your body without ever showing symptoms or ever getting sick. That doesn't mean asymptomatic. It means it never even you never even developed COVID-19. If that you think that's even there. The point is that it just passed through. And that's something that does happen. So what they're saying is look at this. When you have a lower cycle threshold, when you find it there, they get much sicker. But look at this magic trick. When you, when you push it to 30 or higher and then say they're sick, they, don't, they just don't turn out as that sick. Well, it's because they're not actually sick. 
magic, right? It says, together, these results suggest that COVID-19 positive cases with cycle thresholds more than or equal to 31 require reduced duration to clear SARS-CoV-2, and thus a shorter isolation period for this group might be considered. And I'll show you in the other, other ones too. I think there's something else here. Uh, let's see. A total of 60% of all patients, irrespective of the values. Oh, that's interesting. 60% of these patients, regardless of the cycle threshold, passed it within 14 days. That, mean, that means they didn't get sick. Right, because the whole the way this develops, it doesn't just pass in fourteen days. What they're saying is it sometimes takes that long to even develop, or seven days. Right. So the bottom line is, sixty percent of these people very well could have not been sick at all, or even had anything in their body, false positives, or found something, but they weren't even sick. And yet, all of this gets categorized as cases, even though that means technically that you are sick and having symptoms. Asymptomatic is an illusion in all this. We've shown a hundred times over. As even Fauci said, respiratory viruses don't spread without symptoms. But I guess we just magically forget what the gospel of science said before we all switched onto a different path. Um, I, I know there was something else. Let me see. It's saying that the assessment individuals 15 to 30 days after showed a significant reduction in viral load. It says cycle threshold value is less than 25 and between 26 and 30. It said, but the follow-up with the group low viral RNA exhibited a stable viral load. Now, I mean, the general point was the same. Let's go to the next one. I, it was highlighted. I feel like I'm missing something. But the overall point was that the higher the cycle threshold, you didn't seem to have as much of a problem. And this one is, this, is a similar point. It's saying epidemi- epidemiology of COVID-19 and the utility of cycle threshold values. Damn it. This one was further in there somewhere. Let's see. Yeah, I could find it. Just go to the conclusion. Maybe it's down there. CT values below 25 and 20 categorized as high, moderate, and low. Let's see. Just bear with me, guys. This is what they want when they, <laughs> if that's what happened. Shut down. The C, for CT value correlation, the study population were categorized into low value, under 24, or high, over 30. I don't want you to just take my word for it, but the point is that over 30, it's, it's, it's inter- no magic that they just don't seem to be as affected. One of them I have a, an image that I'll show you, which is very clear, but I wanted to show you this too. Let's see. Let's go to the conclusion. Now it says... Our study indicates that most of the COVID cases were symptomatic and there is a high proportion of asymptomatic cases in pediatrics. Yeah, means they, they, not, they weren't sick, guys. That's what happened. A significantly low cycle threshold value observed in symptomatic cases plays a considerable role in the transmission. Right, because when it's low, that means that you're finding it within the range that's not false positive range, except in the old age population. It says it was observed that in low cycle threshold were detected mainly in those who presented within seven days of symptoms as cycle values. And that makes sense by others. Very factors. I'm trying to read quickly. It says right here. It says as cycle threshold values are influenced by various other factors, utilization of this alone as a viral load marker in decision-making for any viral infection diseases may not be trustworthy strategy, especially in cases with high cycle threshold values, right? A significant association between low and duration symptoms observed in our study explains viral dynamics. Well, no, what it shows you, again, is the same point we're making. I know there's something highlighted here I can't find, but I'll make it more clear with this one because the 
Oh, that one. I forgot. I highlighted a bunch. Gosh, this drives me crazy. I got to stop saying it. <laughs> it's ruining it for the podcast. But here is the image. Oh, this one too. <clears throat> so what this is showing you, and this is the full table just brought up here, is all the cycle thresholds. And one, you'll see the vast majority, and I mean like what, like 80% of them over 30. So that, that's your game right there. Here's the most important part for me. This is from this study. This is from this is the data from the, one of these, these graphs right here. I think it was, oh, it just had the image for the graph. One of these, right here, open a new table. It's these graphs for the cycle thresholds. Now, what it's showing you is in general, first of all, on the left, you see survival probability. And then the, then the bottom, the, the uh, I forget which way it goes, the, the y-axis, I forget, the bottom one, time in days after first positive test. So first, what you're going to see, high, moderate, low, whether or not, there, there's clearly a difference, but it's not that dangerous. Right? So regardless of what you're dealing with, the point is COVID-19 is clearly not dangerous. But over here, it's showing you, the, so the right graph is showing you the, uh, the, 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 the basically the, the, increased risk, heightened risk value, I think is what it was, and then versus the cycle threshold. Now, do you notice something important? Like a perfect little axis right around 28 cycle threshold, which is what they use for people with breakthrough COVID, is that before 28, it's amazing that you can see heightened risk. What that breaks down to is that people that you get tested positive under 28, more, more the, the, the lower the cycle threshold, the more it turns out, the more sick you end up getting. All that really means, so they're framing that as that's a detector of viral load. What it really means is that you have a better likelihood to get a non-false positive when you're, cycle, when you're not increasing the cycle threshold that much. But you go above 28, and look at that. Magically, your risk basically vanishes. Or, if you understand the reality, it's because they're not even sick and you're, you're giving them a false positive. That's what's happening. That's what all the experts that know about this test, including the creator himself, said about this. So read the study. It's very clear. But the same thing they're doing is the presence of SARS-CoV-2 in, uh, oh, actually, no, this was just a study that included the cycle threshold that showed you that. But overall, I think it's really important to see, one, that they're all still using these high cycle thresholds. And the fact that it's very obvious that the higher you go, the more, I mean, at least in their mindset, less risk. But it's very clear that this is their false positives. Now, here's another interesting article, which I might just skip because I had it all highlighted, but it was, what is a cycle threshold value? Yeah, I'm just going to go past it. I don't want to waste your guys' time trying to skim through this, but there was some interesting stuff in this. When it's it's basically talking about the the lower the value, the greater the amount of viral load, and which is kind of the way they're framing this. But the information has been helpful. Yeah, it's I'm just going to. That's too bad. Well, see, this is what happens, guys. It frustrates me, but I'm not going to end the show for you guys. But so it says the next the next study, the association between SARS-CoV-2 RT RT PCR cycle threshold and mortality in a community cohort. And it's the same point. <laughs> and if you want to skim through and find it, you'll find it for yourself. But, you know, the problem is that all the people that, will, that are happy to dismiss everything we say because they're trolling and don't like us anyway will be like, oh, it's fake news. But the point is it's in there. If you care to look the due diligence, but because of the fact that my entire computer restarted, I just don't want to make you wait as I read this all over again and highlight it again. But it was in there somewhere about the cycle threshold. One quick look. 
was 28. Right, it says the, the value of an individual's first positive was 28. I'm sure you guys can sense how much this frustrates me. <laughs> anyway, so same point. It's present. If you want to really understand the illusion, it's right here. I mean, this is just this is a clip, not a long show, just a clip of the quick, the title was quick, Faith in Quick Test, Least Epidemic That Wasn't. Now, here is an example of what they're currently testing for in New South Wales and what they're finding in the last seven days. Almost 2,000 cases, 816 of them have been from PCR tests, and 1,101 have been from rapid antigen tests. So I figured it was important to point that out, too, that we know there is a dramatically high, according to uh, Dr. Scoglio, PhD, and plenty of others, 95% false positive rates when using the cycle thresholds that they are. So that's there. But then they use rapid antigen tests, right? So they must be better if they're getting more positives, right? <laughs> Turns out that's not even true either, because it says right here that the rapid antigen tests are essential to contain highly contagious SARS-CoV-2. PCR tests are accurate, but can take a long time. Then it says, antigen test, son of a gun, antigen test, the other major type, while much faster, are less accurate. Really? <laughs> less accurate than the wildly high false positive test? So that seems pretty, decision. that's a choice to me. So you have another test that's even less accurate. Interestingly enough, that's giving you more positives. I wonder why. Ah. Well, last two parts here, I want to make sure we saw that now that it's all coming back, Josh points out, uh, Gutsko points out that the Israeli ministry comes out and says, you must PCR test everybody. And we, of course, we expected that, right? But then they got an unexpected pushback. The hospitals told them they weren't going to do it. Think about that. That's, I mean, the hospitals in Israel, and same thing Dr. Eli David points out, well, first, that the Ministry of Health orders all of them to conduct PCR tests for literally everybody. That's the same game that's being played everywhere else. Test everybody in the hospital, and you're going to find either what you tell us are asymptomatic or false positive tests for half the people in there, because that's how it works. And those become, guess what, COVID hospitalizations. Even though most of them are going to leave with their cast, broken leg, and leave perfectly fine. But that goes down as a COVID hospitalization. But again, he points out the same thing, that they, that they basically said no. You can read it for yourself. I just think it's important to realize that this, everybody's aware of what's going on and people are not taking it anymore. Now, I'm, I think I'm just going to skip this because of I went longer than I wanted to in general, but I'll just briefly tell you that on top of all of it, what they're doing is basically trying to continue the, the almost like a long, long COVID. <laughs> like it's really, it's becoming like this abstract blame everything under the sun for whatever we say isn't, what we say is COVID, even though we all know that's not actually COVID. And multiple peer-reviewed studies have found that it's a combination of psychosomatic obsession and then also just vaccine side effects. Multiple high-level peer-reviewed studies, recent ones, have found that it's all vaccine side effects. But nobody cares about that. All the trust the science crowd just says, no, we don't like that science. But Wittgenstein points out, experts issue urgent death warning. That's what, the, that's what the article actually says. An urgent death warning. <laughs> These people are ridiculous. A warning to anybody who has had COVID in the last two years. Right? So what I think they're hoping to do is catch all those people that never took the jab because they thought they know, they know that they had natural immunity and trying to scare them. 
Oh my God, guess what? If you had it ever, you have an increased risk of dying. That's what it says. They're trying to hype it up. Experts in urgent death warning to anyone who's had it in the last two years. You have a heightened risk of all the things the COVID vaccine are causing. Totally baffled, though, when it causes after the vaccine. But it's heart attack and Bell's palsy, everything. I'm not even making this up. It's like literally just dumping everything on top of it and saying because the study finds correlation. That's it. But guess what? Published August 21st, 2023, Nature Medicine, post-acute uh, sequela of COVID-19 at two years. So they go back to 2020, right? And they follow them for two years. That's what the study did. And they love, they say in the study, but we went back to when there were time when vaccines weren't there. But guess what though? You'll find very quickly that they went through a two-year period, right? So they went up to 2022. And what were they telling us? Of August 2022, like right up until, well, but 70% of the population got at least one shot. So what do you think the odds are? that this huge cohort of almost 250,000 people, that some of them got these shots after the fact. I mean, like, and, and the point is, they don't make a point to necessarily say that. What they say is, in the beginning, that there wasn't a vaccine. So my point is, as you're trying to make this argument, that, oh my gosh, look at all these people that are having this long-term two-year problem, it's probably because they got the vaccine last year or something like that. Or I'm not, I'm not saying that we should assume that. All I'm saying is that these type of studies that don't, like, they're blaming it on COVID because, well, they had COVID. Well, if you're just going to leave out the fact that they might have also had a vaccine, well, it's just as assumptive. It says reducing the risk of infection and transmission with updated vaccines may be a critical strategic avenue to reduce the risk of long-term health. That's all I'm showing you there. And this is just how I had it highlighted before, thank God. So I didn't have, a, have to search for it this time. But all there, what I'm showing you there is that the study authors themselves have already decided that these things reduce your risk of illness. So in that mindset, realize that plays a factor on how they read the information. Even though we know these things are not reduced risk, they're dramatically increasing your risk. According to all the peer-reviewed science, they seemingly don't see. But this one says, in addition to adjusting for baseline covariates, covariates through inverse probability weighing, as evidence has suggested that vaccination after infection may be associated with reduced risk. Also not true. There's only one study I can find that even briefly suggests that that's the case. Everything I found about natural immunity and then taking these things, let's just be clear. These things are dangerous without anything else adding to it. So that's one thing. But the idea that we've already proven, the antibody-dependent enhancement, making the wrong antibodies, the molecular mimicry, the pathogenic priming, all these things have been shown to be caused in, in one of the most obvious cases after you have gotten sick and then gotten the injection. But nope, they've decided you're all good no matter how you take it. So again, it plays into their mindset. Here's the main point. To obtain sufficient follow-up for the assessment of two-year outcomes, we enrolled participants until the end of the year 2020, right? So before vaccination became widely available and before these variants. But the point was they enrolled them before 20 or the end, until the end of 2020. So that means they went until the end of 2022. There's a two-year follow, Okay. Are we, are we going to pretend like, look, they made the argument that people in these studies needed to be unblinded and given the vaccine because, well, that's just, we can't morally say no to them. Well, are, what are we going to pretend they did here too? I guarantee these people either got one or a 74%, if we're going to just use the general percentage that got vaccinated, likely got at least one. How much you want to bet that plays a factor here? Call me psychic. And then I just wrote this for myself. Let me see what it says. 
I think it's the same point. Yeah, there's at least 75% got one shot. You know, what are the odds that they all, that at least 74% of them got at least one shot after that, like they're telling you. But to finish off, I, I want to do this pretty quickly, but this is just a the contracts that they don't want you to see. This is from Health Justice Initiative. Make sure you check out the website. There's a whole bunch of data on here. It's not just the one I'm going to show you. I just picked one of the Pfizer ones, but they've got Johnson Johnson, Serum, Kovacs, you know, Moderna, all this stuff. So the point is, open contract, court rules in favor of vaccine transparency. In South Africa, Pretoria High Court rules, they would had to show it, even though that seems to violate the contract itself in some ways, but the court ruled, right? So it's very interesting. So here is the actual court ruling PDF. I don't know why it doesn't load until you open the thing. March 30th, 2021. So this is the contract with, it says right here, the government of the, the Republic of South Africa acting through the National Department of Health of South Africa between Pfizer, between the manufacturer supply agreement between Pfizer and South Africa. So really quickly, here are some points that I wanted you to see. It says under, under confidential, it says further, Pfizer shall have no obligation to deliver the product to the purchaser unless... And until the indemnification, the indemnification agreement is executed between the parties in accordance with Section 8. So they won't even begin to give, like, so people are dying, they're claiming, but we won't do anything until you uh, we basically sign a document that says we can't be held accountable. We knew all this already. I just think that's interesting people to see for themselves. Here's one that says, purchaser acknowledge is my acknowledgements. Make sure I didn't, oh, I do have more. Hold on, let me close these. There we go. Purchaser acknowledges that product will be supplied without serialization. Well, so that means serial numbers, right? They, this is how they track these things. So, so what they're saying, and I bet you this is every contract, they demand that they won't even supply it unless you agree that we won't basically track the serial numbers of these. How is that even possible? Well, we know why, because this, there's something very, very dark happening here. Here, this one says, Pfizer shall perform all bulk holding stability manufacturing trials validity, including but unlimited to method process and equipment cleaning validation, raw material, in process, bulk finished product, and stability, chemical or microbial tests or checks required to assure the quality of the product and tests or check required by the specifications. Good, because that means they're, they're, they are accountable for the lack of stability, the lack of quality the DNA contamination, or the deliberate choice to do those things. I think that's important. So let's remember that they're the ones going, we are responsible for the maintenance, the, ma- the, the requiring that they're tested properly. They didn't do that. And by the way, they've gotten, uh, what, 30 fines in the past time with $5 billion for exactly that. Here's another one. Purchaser acknowledges that the vaccine and materials related to the vaccine and their components and constituent materials are being rapidly deployed, developed due to the emergency circumstances of COVID-19 pandemic and will continue to be studied after provision of the vaccine to purchaser under this agreement. Isn't that what they say isn't true? Purchaser further acknowledges that the long-term effects of the efficacy of the vaccine are not currently known and that there may be adverse effects of the vaccine that are not currently known. They lied about this. They said safe and effective, 100%, no fake news, there's no problem. They even said myocarditis wasn't really censored Whitney and I for saying that that was possible. It says, further, to the extent applicable, purchaser acknowledges that the product shall not be serialized. They even reiterate that. So just in case you think, just to make sure. 
right here. Make sure I got the right spot. 5.5. Right there. Purchaser acknowledges the vaccine and materials related to the vaccine. So just every and their components and constituents materials are being rapidly deployed. So look, as they told you, emergency use authorization was the same as approval. I mean, can't we see how much dishonesty there was through all this thing? Why can't the average person see that? They're blatantly lying to you. They knew they rushed. They knew that they're bl- they're telling you right there because this is an emergency. Well, there might be things we don't know about. Well, don't don't the average per- people have a right to know that? That's not what you're telling the the pharmacist with the blank inserts. They're saying safe and effective and everything's good to go. Take it right here and drive home to in 30 seconds, 15 minutes, whatever. Acknowledges long-term effects are unknown. You know how long we've been pointing that out on their own documentation to the screeches of fake news? Indemnification. Again, we all know this, but it's important to see it. Per, oh, let's just go to this one, which is this is uh, 23. Purchaser hereby agrees to indemnify, defend. De- well, that's an interesting defend. So not only does our demand that they remove them from liability, but then demand that the person buying it stands up for them when they get attacked. <laughs> Think about that. Indemnify, defend, and hold harmless Pfizer, Biotech, each of their affiliates, co-contractors, subcontractors, licensors, licensees, sub-licensees, distribu- distri- distributors, distributors, excuse me, contract manufacturers, service providers, clinical trial researchers. Well, look, Brooke Jackson's learning. We've seen that. Clearly, they expose that they're lying, but they don't care. Third parties to whom Pfizer and Biotech or any of their respective affiliates may directly or even indirectly owe an indemnity based on the research, development, manufacture, distribution, commercialization, or use of the vaccine and each of the officers, directors, employees, and other agents and representatives and the respective predecessors, successors, and assigns of any of the foregoing indemnities from and against any and all suits, claims, actions, demands, losses, damages, liabilities, settlements, penalties, fines, costs, and expenses, including, without limitation, reasonable attorneys and other counsel's fees and other expenses of an investigation and litigation, whether sounding in contract, tort, intellectual property, or any other theory, and whether legal, statutory, equitable, or otherwise by any nature, natural or legal person, caused by, arising out of, relating to, or resulting from the vaccine, including but not limited to any stage of design, development, investigation, formulation, testing, clinical testing, manufacture, labeling, packaging, transport, storage, distribution, marketing, promotion, sale, purchase, licensing, donation, dispensing, prescribing, administration, provision, or use of the vaccine in any information, instructions, advice, or guidance provided by Pfizer or BioNTech or any of their respective affiliates and relating to the use of the vaccine or any processing or transfer of anyone's personal information processing or transfer by purchaser to the indemnities. My God. Like, do you now see why I've been saying that they could literally trip and poke you in the eye and they don't? That's exactly true because that falls under twice listed distribution or rather specifically, uh, where was it? You know, just the, the administration. It says it in there. I just can't find out. We listed it all off. That's everything. That is from, you know, like we like in a culinary sense, we say from farm to fork. Like that's literally from lab to your arm, shoulder muscle, like everything. There is literally nothing involved in this process where they can be held accountable for it. There's no reason anybody anywhere honest should have ever allowed that. 
And that's why they wanted 75 years and all these things are being pushed off because this is a criminal agreement. Think about how wild that is. Like, I don't think if I show this to people, they probably think that's not real. It's wild. So the point is that they've created a situation where they're not liable for anything. Now, here's the most important part for that one part, though. That if, if they are caught for fraud, the Rennick pointed this out in Australia. This came up in Brooke Jackson's case. It says, excluding liability. Nothing in this agreement excludes or limits the liability of either party for fraud or fraudulent misrepresentation. So the point is that if they are caught with fraud, lying about what they're doing, lying about the safe and effective nature or the fact that these things are safe quality products like they claim they are in, this, in what we just read. Well, if we can prove that, which, by the way, I'm pretty sure we already have, but proving things means something quite different in the partisan world we're in today. But, you know, we end up having the right person point at the right time. Well, suddenly they can actually be held accountable. So let's hope that happens. And the last one on limits to liability, it says, in no event shall Pfizer be liable to purchaser for any direct damages except to the extent such direct damages were the result of a material breach of a representation or warranty by Pfizer under this agreement that directly and solely caused the damage. So if we can prove that their omission or their lies led to that, we, they could be held accountable. In no instance shall Pfizer and its affiliates be liable to purchaser, meaning South Africa in this case, whether arising in warranty, tort, including without limitation or negligence, contract, strict liability or otherwise, for any liabilities of purchaser to any third party, including without limitation, I love that, through contribution, indemnity, or for any claim for which purchaser would have to indemnify Pfizer if that claim were brought against Pfizer directly. Very interesting. Basically, in every way. Remember we had these talks about how they had to put up like military bases for collateral. Like these contracts are, I mean, I don't even know there's a word that encapsulates how wild this is. They know that. The government knows that. We're watching the rise of a new power. That's what this is. I think it's very, very clear. So thank you to Transparency for putting this out. Health Justice Initiative. Because, I mean, guys, we should be combing through this. I, I just briefly went through that and kind of skimmed. I mean, I read most of it, but I skimmed all the way through the contract. So there's probably parts that I missed. Or read Moderna's version of it. Read the other ones. Because I guarantee you there are things they don't want us to see in there. But overall, you don't, we don't really need much else to realize how dishonest all this is. Why anybody would ever trust a product where the person making it's not accountable for whatever goes wrong, it's beyond me. I just don't understand that. Especially since we can now prove that we were not in an emergency, that that's not dangerous, that it never was, and it's never been dangerous. And overall, we've been lied to about damn near everything, including how dangerous the things are they're giving you to fight the thing that you don't need to fight. And yet, it's all starting again somehow. But wear your mask that causes you to get back to your pneumonia that they'll point out and call COVID because it'll keep the whole thing going. Obviously, I'm joking. My God. Well, thank you for being here, guys. Keep going, as always. Same old day in, day out thing. Like, I, I, I do have to admit, though, that, you know, that stuff... I, like today in general, I question whether I was even going to go into that whole part today because it just seems like such a, like, almost like that's the point to kind of draw you into this, like, pointing fingers, kind of sidestepping nonsense. But I decided it was important to acknowledge that there's a whole active partisan game pulling information into something that allows it to be dismissed. That's why I use the frogs gay kind of analogy, right? And I just think it's important that we, that we highlight that. But I got to say, these things, these things, they sit with me. It's frustrating. Derek and I were talking about this today that it's just like, you know, look, as I, I'm never going to stop doing this. I believe in you guys and I know you put your faith in me and I believe in what we're doing more than I could ever let one frustration stop me. 
But there are those moments that I've mentioned in the past where you sit back and just go, why am I doing this? Like, why are we doing this if one, you're not going to get credit for your work, and two, that even when the other person gets credit, then it still doesn't do what we wanted it to do. So you don't get the, you don't get to change anything, and then even the hard work gets put in doesn't get acknowledged. So it just leaves you that, and I think that's kind of the point too, is you're left kind of going, what am I, what am I even here then for? You know. But then I remember for you guys. I'm here because of the people that we've helped and the fact that what we're doing is honest and we know that. Whether or not they want to frame us as whatever they want to pretend they are to put their chosen partisan savior on some kind of pedestal, even though they're the ones lying to everybody, we know that we're honest and we know that what we're doing is rooted in the right reasons, fighting for people that don't have a voice, fighting for the objective nonpartisan reality that they're all hiding. And I'm going to keep doing that. I guarantee we're going to get pushed back from this kind of stuff today, but I'm, I'm put it behind me. Let's keep going to the next stories. Because that, that's just one of many things we've been breaking down relentlessly over and over. And I'm going to get in probably tomorrow. Don't quote me on that because I haven't looked at what I've scheduled. But the foreign policy, which is just a huge, and a lot of it's going to be sort of old, maybe a couple of weeks old, but a lot of developments in Niger and a lot of different things. And then the transgender conversation that I really want to break down again to show you how much it's changed, but also how serious it still is and what's still happening to children. It's pretty horrifying, but Thank you for continuing to support our platform, guys. And just like last month, you know, like put it this way, guys. I don't want to say those that supported last month, if you can keep it up the same way, because a lot of people put up a good, large donations. But if you're listening out there and you believe in what we're doing and you believe that we're doing this in a way that's necessary and the drowning out narratives from the partisanship, all we need is just $1 person, $1 a month, right? Go to our platform on the website, go to any number of our other platforms, you can Substack or any things and just sign up for just $1 a month that you won't even notice. And if everyone that follows us does that, we will be more than enough to maintain what we're doing and grow more than you can imagine. I, but I know it's tough, guys, and I know there's a lot going on, and I know that we're all struggling right now. But the more support we get, the better we can do. So support us, help us. The most important thing, share the link. Get the information out. Make sure people can understand what they're talking about, not just parrot what they were told paradigm or uh, paramount excuse me thank you for being here i love you all as always question everything come to your own conclusions stay vigilant